the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. pitch to Colton Wong. Here it comes. And he walked him and this game is over. Colton Wong, bases loaded, walk. The Cardinals take two of three. They score four in the bottom of the ninth and they win it six to five. Can you imagine being in Kansas City today? Oh man. Can you imagine watching that game? Do you think they care? No, probably not. <laughs> With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Fox Sports Midwest, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was a vintage hashtag Mathenied. I'm pretty sure that we have all experienced that game before, but on the other side, you've got relievers that are overworked. You have Scott Barlow, who came in the game for the car or for the Royals yesterday. He is the most used reliever in all of baseball. We can relate to that. Been there, done that. You've got a closer who just came in to close out a game yesterday. Matheny's deciding, you know what? Let's go for the six out save here. I'm sure that'll work out well. Gives him 34 pitches. And then, Jamie, with Yadier Molina coming up to the plate. It's like, actually, nah, I'm going to go back on this decision. I'm not feeling it anymore. You go to Rosario in that spot. It's like, oh, this guy can't throw strikes. And he just sticks with him. <laughs> and he decides to lose the game that way. There felt like for about 30 minutes, there's no way the Cardinals are going to find a way to win this game. And then they do exactly that. That was a gift from Mike Matheny. And thank God for it, because they really needed that one last night. Yeah, look, Mike Matheny... I try to always put myself in in coaches' shoes or GM shoes and try to dissect like what could be going on in that moment. And when I watched, we'll call it the Matheny, the meltdown, whatever it was yesterday, to me it was a manager that was just overthinking things, just trying to be better than the game. Do you know what I mean? Like out, be the smartest guy in the room. And halfway through it, I think he realized that. This is not the way it should go. Now he's trying to backtrack on it, and it just obviously it blew up in his face, and uh, which is fine because it gives the Cardinals a victory. Yeah. Like yeah, it, all things fair. We like I like Mike Matheny, but he, he gave us a game there. And I have a question for you guys about the Colton Wong there. 
How do you describe that? Because, you know, you got walk-off homers, walk-off single. Is this a walk-off walk? It's a walk-off walk. Is that what they call it? Uh, that's what they call it, Jamie Rivers. And why do they call it a walk-off? I've never because understood. Because they walk off the field off. after the game. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> it ends the game. Uh, did you laugh? <laughs> listen, no, no, no. Hey, listen. This is where you can find this kind of insight. You can't get this kind of insight well, anywhere else today. I used you have to, to think... come to Rivs and BK to figure out where the walk-off <laughs> originally originated from. I got the walk-off homer, right? Because I was like, okay, you homer, you round the bases, you walk off. But I didn't know the walk-off Same was thing. the walk-off for everything. So... All right. In defense of Mike Matheny and a walk-off walk. great walk-off comment there. So how about this? The term (laughs) walk-off originated as walk-off piece and was coined by Hall of Famer Dennis Eckersley. Quote, it was always a walk-off piece, Eckersley told the Boston Globe, like something you would hang in an art gallery. The walk-off piece is a horrible piece of art. The first reference to a walk-off came in 1988. Wow. All right. The history so see, of walk off. The, the see, information you never know today. <laughs> you guys walk welcome. off piece was intended to describe a pitcher's dejected walk off the field after giving up the game losing home run. So, Ferrario, you and I were wrong on how we believe this came about. And my question? I thought it was for the winning side. It is actually to describe the losing side. Mm. And my question is also now not dumb. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's not dumb. Way to go, buddy. Uh, what I was saying before, BK rudely interrupted me. Hey, I gave us important information. That's there. true. Actually, that, was... that, that is probably the most important information we'll give you the rest of the day today. No, I was watching that last night in in defense of Mike Matheny. Trevor Rosenthal completely just changed the way he was pitching to the Cardinals. Like he came out of the bullpen for those final two outs and was just delivering heat. BT called it old school ball. I mean, he was coming out just fastball, fastball, fastball. And then the next inning, he's turning into, oh, here's a curveball. Here's a changeup. Here's a slider. Like, where, what are you doing, Trevor? Like, go back to the fastball here. But Matheny came out and tried to take him out. Right. And Rosie told him, and how many times did we see this a here lot. in St. Louis? Imagine in particular with Adam Wainwright. Matheny goes to the mound. He's like, hey, big boy, it's it's time to go to the bullpen. Wainwright's like, uh-uh, I got this. Matheny's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're going to be good here. There's nothing that can possibly go wrong. He tries to get him through that fifth inning, tries to get him to qualify for the win. It goes poorly. The Cardinals end up losing as a result of that, and we all know the history of it where it went from there. That's what happened with Rosenthal last night. He thought he had it. Matheny trusted him, and he didn't have it. So then he goes to his other bullpen arm, who also didn't have it last night, and the Cardinals get a win as a result. And it wasn't just the pitching. I thought the biggest blunder for the Royals last night going up against the Cardinals was the Valoria, their catcher, attempting to bunt yeah, what the to hell move the that? runner over. Hey, listen, I support the bunt, okay? I support the bunt. There's not, not enough of it going on these days. Yeah, huh? You don't bunt if you're a catcher with first and third that guy and looks one like out. Lance Lynn at the plate. Like <laughs> you don't bunt with him. <laughs> the the bunt went straight up in the air and right to the pitcher. Maybe That's it was, not how it's supposed to go down. Maybe he got the signs confused. Maybe it was the hitaway bunt. No, you, you don't mess up two signs. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. He, lay, he tried to lay down back-to-back bunts, and he pulled the first one back. Like, what are you doing here, man? So 
A big win for the Cardinals. They, they really needed that one. They need two today. They needed that one yesterday. When you're playing the Royals, you're playing the Pirates. I talked yesterday about how the Pirates lineup is a triple-A lineup. This is a team you have to win at least one against today. You probably need to sweep them. Because if the Cardinals are going to be one of the legitimate contenders in the National League, and right now they are, this is what you have to do in series against bad teams. And that was a bad team last night. I also wanted to get to who I thought two of the most important players were in the game last night. Not just for that game, but moving forward, Jamie. Let's listen to a particular RBI that I thought was huge. O'Neal, hot shot in the left, and this game is tied. O'Neal has tied it with two outs here in the bottom of the ninth. We are tied 5-5. Miller and DeYoung score. O'Neal hits it sharply off the glove of the third baseman, Franco, and we're tied 5-5. It was 5-3, to three, two outs, bottom of the ninth inning. Tyler O'Neal walks up to the plate after in the previous inning. He gave up what was clearly an error, was not ruled an error, but clearly an error. And I texted you guys right when he walked up to oh, the yeah. plate. I know exactly what's happening here. <laughs> I know exactly what's going to happen here. I've seen this. I have been high on Tyler O'Neill. I changed my tune on him. He's going to strike out. 100% chance he's going to strike out in this spot. And I'll be damned if he didn't make it up. <laughs> Once again, BK. I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. Okay, so here I'm going to dive into the text, actually, because it's, yes. it's, it's, it's amusing. Relive this. From BK. Oh, boy, don't feel good about this. <laughs> this has the feeling of BK getting his Tyler O'Neill love shoved back in his face. Pause, two, three, boom, in all caps. Wait, just kidding. That's my boy Tyler O'Neill. Always believed. That's how those texts usually go. Wait, just kidding. I always knew it was going to come through. You know what's the best part? So I was working on our prep while the game was going on, and so I had a few takes ready to go. My Tyler O'Neill take today was about to be so fire. It started out basically saying Tyler O'Neill started out hot. Now he's ice cold. It's time to put him in the bench for a little while. Nope. Tyler O'Neill is going to be back out there in the lineup today because he proved himself in the biggest possible moment. But it wasn't just him. I thought Dylan Carlson's at bat was one of the biggest at bats of the game. And he needed it. He really needed it. I mean, he it. needed it. Let's just be Especially honest. Especially when you had the bases loaded previously oh, and, and struck at, out there. Oh. He, had a, he had two of those, and I was like, come on, I man. I would love to know the numbers for a rookie, how many times he's had the bases loaded in the beginning of his career and what that batting average well, is. he's now one for 17 with six strikeouts, two walks, and yesterday did get his first RBI when he's batting with runners in scoring position. One for 17. It has not been good for him. And listen, I am the conductor of the Dylan Carlson hype train, and I have been called for him to be up his hitting with runners in scoring position have actively hurt this team it really has and they've done what they can they're batting him eighth it's not like they're putting him in the cleanup spot they had him where ninth he's, last yeah. night he, he's towards the bottom of the lineup yeah. every night and he's just he's coming up in these huge spots and he hasn't come through in most of them so for him to come through with that walk yesterday in the bottom of the i, I thought that was huge thought it was huge well the yeah the best is yet to come <laughs> i hope so but yeah that you throw a rookie in that situation 
That takes a, a lot of ice in your veins to not just be happy feet up there and be looking to swing at everything. And so to get the walk and, and, and to you know, pull off that big at bat, it says a lot about the player. You know, I was a little disappointed by not allowing Harrison Bader to hit and, and pinch hitting for Max Schrock. I, I yeah. I can see it. I just, I understand. We were surprised from. and we were texting with each other, surprised that he wasn't in the lineup with a double yeah. header coming up for how odd he's been playing. And we found over. out that he had a migraine. <laughs> it's not what he had. It he had was a migraine. A migraine a headache. You and Bader are the same person. And it's an H word. They confuse me. <laughs> but I, I just, one of those situations and look, Max Schrock has done well in the pinch hit opportunities that he's gotten. But for what we've seen from Harrison Bader and for what you're wanting to see from him, let the hot hand ride and see what he gets in that situation. He was great on the base paths, but I wanted to see him hit in that spot. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I I do. And he he was out there for defensive purposes as well afterwards. And then once he came to the plate, they decided to pinch hit for him. I totally understand. The Cardinals now, after the win last night, have the best run differential in the National League Central. They are in second place, just two games out from the Chicago Cubs in the division. They are right in the thick of things right now. So I want to talk a little later today about a report that came out about the trade deadline. We will get into that. We will get into the decision for the Cardinals to play as a whole yesterday. I think it's going to bring up some interesting conversations in the clubhouse today. We'll get into that a little bit later on as well. But coming up next, Doug Armstrong comments earlier this morning on Carriker and Smallman do not sound like a GM ready to tear this thing apart. That means Alex Petrangelo's got to be back. Talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Regardless of whatever decision that that, that he makes, uh, with, and, and we make together, let's not. I'm not just pinning this on him. It's a, it's going to be a joint effort uh, to to get him in the fold here, and I'm hoping to do it. I think I, I'm, you know, I, until he's not here, he's here, and and and, and I want to keep him here as long as possible. That was Doug Armstrong earlier today with Carriker and Smallman. If you missed the full conversation, 101ESPN.com is where you find it. And this is going to be the topic of conversation all offseason. We know that. It's the number one free agent in all of hockey this offseason. And he's right here in St. Louis, the Blues captain, the first captain for the Blues to hoist the Stanley Cup trophy. So... We're going to talk about it a lot, and there's going to be a lot of different swings and emotions as to where this is going to go, because that's how things go in negotiations. But as I was listening to Army earlier today, that quote was what you'd expect to hear. That's that's what the general manager has to say. Yeah, we would like to bring back our captain. Of course. The next quote that I want to listen to here, Jamie, is where I thought, OK, if that is your opinion of this team right now, then there is no way you can allow the captain to walk out of that locker room. Here's that quote. I believe it is. I think that uh, when we we acquired Bozak and and Perron and O'Reilly in the summer, uh, a couple of summers ago, we felt we were entering a five year window because we had we had Pranko, uh, you know, we we had Schwartz, uh, you know, we we're different guys that we're going to be here for a long for a long number of years this year we have two players we really have one unrestricted free agents uh is alex and we we'd like to get that done uh but we we think that uh i i like our team i, I do i i think i'm hoping that the, the reality is we're much closer to the 70 games than we were the last eight the important part there 
We entered a five-year window in 2018. A five-year window. We are getting ready to go into year three. Mm -hmm. If you don't re-sign Alex Petrangelo, (laughs) you could very well be prematurely shutting that window. Well, you are. So you got two years out of it instead of five. If you re-sign Alex Petrangelo and you find a way to make it work under the cap, you can keep that five-year window open, and it's going to hurt after that. It probably will. There's going to be difficulty in retaining all of these guys. You're not going to be able to do it. There's going to be even more pressure to draft well, to develop well, and to make sure that this thing replenishes as you go along so you don't become the next Chicago Blackhawks. But you know what helps that? Winning another cup. And so if you're in the middle of this five-year window and the general manager just said that he believes that to be the case, then you've got to find a way to make this work, even if it means going longer term with Alex Petrangelo than you're comfortable with. Get a little more comfortable being uncomfortable. That's going to be the job for Doug Armstrong this offseason. Listen, that five-year window, if that's true, you can extend it to seven years. That's what I was thinking. You know, there's no limit on five. When you look at the young players that are coming in and maybe some of the pieces that have to go, for your five-year window, those pieces are going anyways. And here's what I mean by that, if you're having a hard time following here. If Tyler Bozak and Alex Steen and whatnot and all these guys are part of your five-year window, well, they're coming to the end of their contract and the end of maybe – maybe the career for Alexander Steen after next year. Who knows, right? Hopefully he gets that year. But what I'm saying is you're already advancing past that. So your youth right now has to push your team to the end of that five-year window for one thing. And then if you do it right and you sign, re-sign Alex Petrangelo and you're able to keep some of your young pieces, you're able to re-sign Pareko at a reasonable rate, goaltending gets figured out. That five years goes to seven years, maybe eight-year window of a team that can win. Like the Chicago Blackhawks, their window was 10 years. Their window it, was open until Hosa retired. But it was it was a decade, yeah. and they won three cups in a decade. So why couldn't this team do that? So why limit yourself to five-year window when you could definitely get it to six, seven, eight-year window? And by not re-signing Petro, you're limiting it to a two- to three-year mm-hmm. window. And that's the, the, that's the other closed part of this. Substantially, if you trade Alex Petrangelo. And it's not saying that another player can't get to be what Alex Petrangelo is, but you don't have it right now. You do not have it. And you. the risk is you may never get it. To our conversation yesterday, Alex Petrangelo is one of the best Defenseman in Blues franchise history. That doesn't just fall off a tree once every other year. Mm-hmm. You know, and to your point earlier about the free agency signing, this is a big deal when we're talking about it. I personally feel like this is the biggest free agent the Blues have ever had aside from Brett Hull. Yeah. When the, he was let go or when he was uh, had the ability to walk and, and test free agency, never before after that was there somebody with as much clout as Brett Holt. Now, Alex Petrangelo is that guy. This is one where I think you can't let him walk. And that's a great point because look what happened when you lost Brett Holt. Now, you still were contenders, but you saw that decline of that window. The window was open still, but you saw the decline. And once you got into the mid-2000s, once Pronger was traded away, that's when that window closed. Well, that was the domino effect, yeah. right? You, you got you let Brett Hall walk, then you trade Chris Pronger, then you head down, and all of a sudden you're in the yeah. 06-07 season with 4,000 people right. in the stands. The, the five-year window, I think, resolves a lot around Colton Pareko, too, because when he said that at the beginning of the offseason last year, it was when they re-signed Colton Pareko to that five-year contract, and he saw 
saw with the acquisitions of O'Reilly and Perron and Bozak that that window was open. But look, if if I, I said this yesterday with you guys, if you take Keith or Seabrook off of that roster, and I say more Keith than Seabrook because Keith is an elite defenseman rather than Seabrook, but if you take Keith off of that lineup, you are tremendously ruining a Stanley Cup window opportunity for you because you're taking that number one defenseman off. And the Blues, to your point, Rivs, they do have this window extended because if they can find a way to navigate Petrangelo's contract and re-sign Colton Pareko, you have a one-two punch like the Chicago Blackhawks had that can keep this window open for another seven, eight, nine years. I don't think this is excluding another player, though, that we've talked a lot about because Doug Armstrong also was asked about, hey, Tarasenko's injury, your scoring issues that you had in the postseason, what does this all mean for your wings right now? And Army was pretty open and honest about the importance of one Jaden Schwartz and how he becomes even more important coming up into this next season. Listen to this. Jaden is a player that um, you know, he just plays one way. He plays the same way all the time. He plays with detail. He plays with energy. Uh, he gets scoring opportunities. Sometimes they don't go in. But he's someone that you know what you're going to get. It's not he's not a player where you where you're sitting upstairs or probably if for Craig behind the bench you go well what Shatter or what sports you going to bring me tonight. You know what you're going to get. I think he's a very valuable player for us. And if they don't keep Jaden Schwartz, guys, I don't know how many other wingers you can trust going into next year. Perron certainly. Well, your left wingers in particular, okay. Yeah. And and if you look at the roster as it sits. You've got Jaden Schwartz as a left winger that you, th- I feel you can count on him. Like Army just said, yeah, the pucks don't always go in, but he's creating. He's buzzing. After that, you got Zach Sanford, who has had great moments, but still, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride there. Sammy Blay, same thing. Ro- and injury issues, too. Injury, roller coaster ride. Mackenzie McEckern, Ivan Barbashev. Okay, those are great players, <laughs> but where is your top six, your two top six left wingers? You don't. You've got one. So you can't you can't get rid of that if that's all you have. Now, can Braden Shen slide to the left wing? They move Robert Thomas up. Yes, all these are things that you can do when you have an established roster. But right now, they need to keep Jaden Schwartz because he's the only potent scoring left winger they have. I think they were hoping Schwartz could become expendable if Sanford or Blay turned out to be something. And right now, they haven't turned out to it. I mean, Blay has the potential, but the problem is he can't stay healthy. And he takes too many penalties, and he's not responsible enough in the defensive zone like Jaden Schwartz is. I think with the Tarasenko news and with Tarasenko coming on Instagram yesterday and saying that, you know, he expects to be back to 100%, we hope that's the case. But if Tarasenko never comes back to 100%, then you have to have a Jaden Schwartz who is a reliable goal scorer because if you lose him and Tarasenko, then you have zero scoring when it comes to your wings. I think that's a really important point here. Tarasenko's injury changed things for me on this one. If you had Tarasenko and whether it was Shin or Thomas centering that line, and then you have Ryan O'Reilly with Perron, at least then you've got pairs Mm -hmm. on your top six, right? And you feel like, okay, we could go into next season and Shin works on one of those lines. Sanford works on the other line and you, you feel okay about it. Maybe you don't feel perfect, but you feel okay going into next season. Without Tarasenko, if you subtract Tarasenko from that top line and you subtract Schwartz from that top line, I don't know how great I feel about either of those lines now. I still feel good, but it takes away a little bit of that identity of knowing that you've got one line on your top six at a minimum that can absolutely dominate a postseason series or can help you get through a week span, whatever it may be. 
I, I, I don't feel great about it. If you get rid of Jaden Schwartz and you don't know when you're going to be able to get Alex or uh, Vladimir Tarasenko back at 100 percent. So Doug Armstrong's job is going to be extremely difficult. We've already <laughs> already talked about that. Where it's going to get really difficult here, and it's going to be a little bit of a gamble for Army, is he right now he cannot deal Jaden Schwartz. Not unless he gets a player of equal caliber and production in return that has two or three years left on a contract. Certainly that's a no-brainer if you can make that happen. He's got no Vladimir Tarasenko, so he's going to have to load up on the top six forwards. You're going to have to have Robert Thomas in your top six. You've got to hope Cairo is pushing guys for that top six. Zach Sanford has to come out and play like we know he can. And then Army's going to have to retool the bottom six. That's where you're going to get your movement on the salary cap. Guys that are making two to three million that are playing in the third or fourth line, those are going to be the casualties of trade or something because you do have other guys waiting in the wings. You have Pagansky. Yep, You've got Clem Costin. Even Mackenzie McKecker and his dollar value is very low as far as the salary cap goes. You, that's where you're going to see substantial changes in the bottom six. You Two to three of those guys gone in a different direction because of what you have and because of what you can afford. You can't afford to put $3 million on your fourth line. Yeah, well, that's that's the, my biggest thing, and I'll say this fun to, to wrap it up. I mean, if you move Thomas up there and stack your top six, the only way this team wins is if they have four reliable lines out there. So that puts more emphasis on a Kostin, on a Pagansky, on these guys that are on the mid-level depth chart for this team. That puts more onus on them to step up their game, like a Jordan Cairo also. Those guys have to become reliable third and fourth line players because if they don't, then the whole team crumbles because you got to have four lines to, to rotate and i think what you do ultimately is barbashev ends up centering the fourth line sunny ends up centering the, the third, third line. line and you've got two real dependable guys now your wingers now you can test guys out yeah. the youth guys let them fly a little bit live and learn but you've got two rock solid pieces in the middle Bo- bozak expendable bozak's a good player wow. We all like I Bozak. didn't say it, but yeah. you guys figured it out. He's a, he's a good player. We all like him. He's important, and we saw that just how important he is in Game 6 when he wasn't out there, and we were all like, ooh, that's a big blow for the Blues to not have him out there. It's $5 million against the cap. Can't so, have $5 million on your third or fourth line. You can't. Somebody's Somebody's got to become expendable when you're trying to re-sign the captain, and that's the place that I would look. You're looking at Bozak. You're looking at Alexander Steen, who has a $5.75 million cap hit next year. Uh, maybe that has to be a buyout. And you're looking at Jake Allen. Yep. If that's what it takes to be able to re-sign the captain, Jamie, you said this the other day. I thought it was a great point. You would trade all three of those players in a heartbeat. If that meant you were getting Alex Petrangelo in return. And those two players create enough space for you to re-sign Petro and also find a way to boost that offense for you with another player that's looking at a two, three million dollar contract. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Yesterday was a massive day in the landscape of professional sports. I want to walk through where I was when I first heard the news and where I am at this point, plus a little bit of an update on this developing story as well. The NBA players have decided what to do with the rest of the bubble. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Uh, The Players Association, the league, you know, they're talking amongst themselves about whether the players want to continue. Uh, It all started this morning with the this afternoon with the Milwaukee Bucks deciding to not play against Orlando. Uh, 
even uh, Milwaukee's ownership, their upper management, weren't certain it was going to happen. And it certainly took the rest of the league by surprise. And you saw a domino effect around the league with other games uh, postponed. And now the season very much on the brink. So there has been an update since that report by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. NBA players have now decided to resume the postseason. That audio, by the way, courtesy of ESPN. Today's three playoff games in the NBA will continue to be postponed. A resumption of the season could come as soon as tomorrow, but there's expected to be a return to play by the weekend. This was the decision by the players earlier today. Jamie, I kind of want to go through this, and I know there's there's been a lot of arguing that has come as a result of everything that we saw in sports yesterday. I, I don't want to do that here. This is not, I don't, I don't feel like this is the platform for us to just start yelling at people. I, I don't think that really serves any sort of purpose, but there is a reckoning that is happening across the world, but specifically in America right now. And we're seeing it kind of bleeding into sports and there's no way to avoid it. Would I love to just come on here today and talk blues and Cardinals all day long? Absolutely. We would want nothing more than to do exactly that. But sometimes outside stuff becomes so important that sports cannot ignore it. And that's what's happening right now. I want to start with where I was um, in terms of internalizing all of this whenever I first heard the news, Jamie, because my first reaction was I, I don't totally understand. Like what what are what is this what is this solving by you postponing a game? What is this just a publicity stunt? Is there more to this? What what happens from here? And as I learned more, as I listened to more, I tried to spend the night reading as much as I could, listening to as many statements as I could. I started to I think understand it a little bit more. Now where I deviated from some of the opinions that I heard was what comes next. And I think that's the important part here. I think the NBA players are getting this right. I think they are getting it right in continuing to play. And here's why I believe that they have a platform right now in part because they are playing basketball. I, I know that some people disagree with this and that's perfectly fine. I understand. I, we can all have a disagreement of opinion on this, but being down in Orlando right now allows them before and after the games to speak their mind on other issues that they deem to be important, whatever that issue is. That ceases to exist if they stop playing basketball. If they decided to leave the bubble, the platform that they have, they got on national news last night as a result of what they decided to do. That was a monumental moment. It was the first time that the NBA has paused in more than 30 years because of the players deciding not to play, to boycott a game. That was a huge moment. If they stopped playing, though, there is no spotlight on them the way that there is right now and so I think they got it right in their decision today and that's one place where I, I do think I probably differ from some of the people that have been talking about this but I'd be curious what was your reaction yesterday Jamie when you saw this and where have you come since then yeah my reaction was probably much like yours to be honest I, I thought to myself with all the temperature of everything going on what are we solving here? Like, if we want change, what is this change? And what's the angle of this? And, 
you know, as the day went on and as the night went on and we heard more and more stuff coming out, it did become clear to me as well that, okay, so this was the purpose was to be handed an active microphone, basically, to raise awareness or, or make people change overall. I do feel just like you that continuing to play, that is their biggest platform. And, and I see it a little differently, too, is these guys are all together down there. The coaches, the trainers, whoever's involved in these teams, they're in this bubble. If they're all together, they can have these discussions. They can plan certain media events if they want to do it. They can do positive things with their platform. If they go off into their own areas and don't continue to play, now it's one guy over here, two guys over here. Rather than being a, a group of athletes that are able to work through this together, support each other, and hopefully through the ownership of these teams, those guys get involved too. And so that, to me, increases your fan base or your audience is a better word of people who can listen. Where I got off the rails a little bit with this is if we really want change, if that's the ultimate goal on this, then we have to encourage people to change. I don't like some of the angles from people shaming people into change. That to me doesn't make any sense because if someone challenges you or shames you, your natural reaction is not, well, hey, oh yeah, I want to do better. It's bleep you. You know, that's your natural reaction. So I think to your point and to my point of keeping these guys all together and maybe using their platform in a positive way, that that will encourage people to listen, encourage people to change. I don't like the finger pointing back and forth between political parties, people in general, races, sports, different sports, calling different sports out. Some guys playing, some guys not. Some guys getting berated because they played. Other guys, you know, celebrating because they didn't play. No, enough of that. Yep. Let's take a stance where we're encouraging people to be a part of the conversation. Otherwise, if you're not really sure, if you're kind of a, you're scared at that point, you're like, I ain't talking about it. I don't want to get involved. Because I don't really know what to say, and I'm going to get just lambasted. So for me, it's it's encouraging rather than shaming. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I would be curious to take the temperature of the text line. We'd love to hear from you throughout the show today. This one comes from the 618. These guys are already famous. The platform is there already with or without basketball. What you are saying to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They were reacting to what I had to say about I, I think that they made the right decision to decide to play. Well, here's what I would react to that with or what my response to that would be. They are famous. Uh, They do have a platform with or without playing games. That is 100 percent true. Their platform is bigger with the games, with all of them, as Jamie said, being in the same place, playing these games. You have millions of viewers every single night. What are they talking about before the games? You're seeing these montages. You're seeing on the court Black Lives Matter. You are seeing during the game commercials from the NBA that have been put in place because they want to promote a, a message of social justice. The players after the game, anytime LeBron speaks, he is talking about what is going on in America right now. That is important. Now, you can disagree or agree with what they're saying, but the fact that they have that platform exists in part because they are playing basketball right now. Does LeBron still have a platform when he's not playing? Yes, but that same platform exists while he's there. So you're giving up a part of it while not having the other part. So it, it, 
that's where I would go with that. There's one other from the 314. I disagree with you, BK, only because the revenue that would hit the NBA if players stop playing puts pressure on the owners to use their leverage uh, to do things for government officials. So I believe them not playing would actually make a bigger statement to lawmakers and to owners and to the black community. People outside of those communities are not going to understand. Here's again my response to that. If you decide to stop playing, you have no leverage on the owners. You have now played your card. It's done. The owners can't get that money back. By continuing to play, you can leverage the owners. Now you have them and you say, hey, we are not playing unless you do X, Y, and Z. So maybe the mistake was announcing right now that they're going to continue playing, but your leverage is playing. The owners need the money. It's the only reason why we are playing these games in the NHL, in Major League Baseball, in the NBA is because of the revenue that comes as a result of playing the games. LeBron James, the Clippers, those were the two teams apparently last night that voted to stop the play in an informal vote. They know what their leverage was. Their leverage was, hey, if LeBron ain't here, we're not playing. So they decided to use that. They, they decided to exercise that last night. My guess would be they got some sort of assurances from the owners overnight as they discussed this with them. Hey, here's what we're going to do to make this right for you guys. Here's what we're planning to put our money towards. Here are the people that we are going to talk to for you. And if you can get those assurances, then you've accomplished what you wanted to do. With the statement that you made yesterday, you're trying to make things better and you exerted your leverage. That was the leverage that they had. And you were able to move forward as a result of that. So that's kind of where I am on all of this. Was there anything else that you wanted to add on this, Jamie? I want to hear we uh, late addition to the show. Kevin Weeks is a former NHL goalie. He's a current broadcaster for the NHL network. He is. I mean, let's just say it a former black goaltender. What did he think about the way that the NHL responded to this last night? Plus, what does he make of Alex Petrangelo's situation? We'll get into all of that with Kevin Weeks, the former NHL goalie, when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up at the top of the hour. But right now, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by former NHL goalie, current broadcaster for NHL Network, Kevin Weeks. Weeksy, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for coming on today. My pleasure, guys. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Hope you guys are doing well and your families are healthy and safe. Yeah, Thanks we are. Uh, listen, buddy, you and I go way back, to say the least, right? Like a couple of 16-year-old kids playing junior hockey up in in Canada. And mm-hmm. you know what? We've come a long way, and we're still really good friends after all these years. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about yourself and, and guys like Anson Carter last night as you guys are public figures, and we see a lot of you guys. But... I guess I was wondering, you know, what is the best way that you guys would like to see people handle this? Because, you know, everybody has their own idea and whatnot. But quite honestly, I'd like to find out the best way that we can make a change and do things differently. Great question. Thanks, Ribs. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's hard to believe, right? Uh, Being 45 or whatever we are now, going back to 16, it's wild. But in saying that, I think the biggest thing for me, and it's interesting because I had this conversation with our good buddy Rupper uh, earlier today, early this morning. And then the biggest thing for me is you kind of have to start where you are. It helps to be able to do things locally. 
I mean, if you look at St. Louis as an example, not every young St. Louis kid was playing hockey, and you guys got into the community. A lot of the Blues alumni rolled your sleeves up, and you got into the community, and you started giving back, and you started coaching, and, you know, you guys coached existing NHL players. You work with existing NHL players, and you also coach young aspiring players like a Clayton Keller and, you know, the Kachooks when they were coming up and, and you had that huge draft because you guys were reaping what you were sowing. And I think for a St. Louis standpoint, and I know the blues have been so committed to the alumni and the alumni has also been so committed to, to St. Louis and, and Metro St. Louis. I think you just continue doing that and also expand that to inc- include more girls, more boys, more people of color, uh, more black players, and, and do that in a way where that's a part of your concerted effort. Not to say that it isn't, but maybe make that even a little bit more of a, a sharper focus and target so that we can have more people playing our game and enjoying our game. I know that St. Louis is a metropolitan and, and, uh, and very diverse area. From my time spending time there at the Cup final for parts of three weeks last year and, and obviously uh, being there for All-Star Weekend again and I see that. I see Blues fans of every different color and background, and I know the Blues have always been kind of one of the leading teams and having players from different backgrounds on their team. So, you know, I think as you guys continue to do stuff at the youth hockey level, continue doing that and, and attracting more boys, more girls, more people of color, more black players, and uh, because a lot of them already love the sport. A lot of them watch the sport as fans. You know, I look at my man Claves out there, uh, Claiborne out there, who's been one of the, the great media voices, and he's one of the biggest hockey heads. He's always, you know, we're going back and forth over, he's talking about Chaser, and if it's not Chaser, then this team's not tough. These guys are, like, and he's so <laughs> passionate and knowledgeable about the sport, but, you know, a lot of people otherwise wouldn't know that. And, you know, he's doing it in the media space, but it'd be nice to see. Uh, and then from Charles Glenn to singing the anthem. I mean, he's as big a part of the fabric of St. Louis and the Blues as you're going to find. So I think for you guys, Rivs, pointedly, continue the great work that you're doing in the community and continue to expand that the way you have and continue expanding it even more so we can see more black players and players of color and girls and boys and people from different backgrounds playing the sport. Weeksy, there was some... Criticism, I think, would be the right word to use for what we saw in the NHL last night from outside voices and from a few inside the league as well. I'd be curious to hear from you. What did you make of I mean, we saw in Major League Baseball? There were three games that were postponed with the NBA. The playoff games were postponed. What did you make of what happened last night with the NHL? Well, I mean, I, I, I've, I've spoken on this today, and, and my biggest thing is, you know, I'm a proud member of the league. I'm proud to be the face of the league's network. We're a $5 billion league, and I, I, all the time I'm proud of who our league is. But I got to tell you, yesterday I feel like it was a missed opportunity for us. And the reason why I say that is, you know, as we all know, certain things in life are bigger than sports. And – you know, in St. Louis, for example, you have a large military community. I know that every time I fly in there, I see different members of the community there, um, just as an example. And certain things just happen to be bigger than sports. You look at what Layla Anderson meant to that team last year. That was bigger than hockey itself. Now, hockey was huge for her, but she, too, was huge for, for the Blues. And I called her their chief inspiration officer. And as an example, like, there's times where you just have to rise up to the big moments and be big. 
You know what I mean? And I feel like yesterday, the cadence, the drumbeat of the social injustice and the racial inequality, that drumbeat was big enough to where the NBA players said, okay, this is what we choose to do. The WNBA players said, okay, this is what we choose to do. Most of the MLS soccer teams did, and most of the MLB teams did as well. I just feel it was a missed opportunity for us as a league, and not that that's the be-all, end-all, because that's, that's a measure to continue to attract attention. But why I feel like that's so important, especially for our league compared to those other leagues, is our league has the most opportunity for growth. And a big part of that growth I mentioned earlier, you know, you look at our league, and I mentioned St. Louis and all the players. You guys have become an NHL a factory now for players. And there's more, on the, there's more that are coming up too because you guys have invested in that and you made it a priority and you've, you know, you got to the grassroots and you're creating a space there where, you know, you're, you're spreading the good news of the game. You know what I mean? You're amplifying the sport and where that's concerned, our sport needs to do a better job of that overall across the country. And we're starting to see different players from different backgrounds. Austin Matthews is an example whose mom's Mexican and, He's an American kid that grew up in, in Phoenix, Arizona, who's one of the best players, not only in the history of the Leafs franchise and their original six, but in the league. He's a top player in the league. And who knows who that next kid's going to be? Who knows who that next girl is going to be? So our sport, we don't have the player population percentage in terms of players of color or black players and players of color that other sports do. We have a big opportunity to continue growing that. And as our sport continues to grow, and expand the better for all of us, you know, the better for everybody in our sport. And that's why I feel like we have the most room for growth. I felt that that was a missed opportunity for us last night to not show that solidarity through that. It doesn't end there, but it would have been a major significant step for our league for sure. Yeah. Okay. So we see, look, the NHL, you know it is a brotherhood and Mm -hmm. there are guys that care tremendously about every player of every color that there is we there's a love there's a bond there and to your point of that the nhl missed an opportunity last night well then what can they do now you know what Mm -hmm. would be good now because you know as well as i do that Every locker room is full of players that want to help, that want to you know, be a part of the change and do good by society and their teammates and their brotherhood. But what can the NHL do now? The biggest point now is to, number one, it has to start at the, at the club level and the league level, at the NHL level. And with that, you want to create a space that amplifies that brotherhood that you're talking about, Ribs, where no fan can say that they had too many Bud Lights and say something stupid. No player, and, and get away with it, no player can say something stupid. Now, when you're with your team and you have your, your relationship with your players and you know you can joke around about certain things based on your relationship, but there can't be an opposing player go by a bench and say something you know, stupid or insensitive or you know, uh, a racial epithet to a player or sexual orientation or whatever it is. Okay, that player's getting five games. And if it's a fan, you're not allowed back for the rest of the season. If it's an opposing coach, you're getting five games start there once you have that at the nhl level people will start to see and then the nhl should legislate that based on us being the top hockey league in the world down to the american league down to the east coast league to um you know ushl nahl back home in junior back home in canada across the chl tier two and all the way down to youth hockey you know ribs i just had somebody from your old hometown of ottawa 
reach out and want to do a radio interview. And, you know, I know at the grassroots youth hockey level here in the U.S. and back home in Canada because of all the DMs that I get, there's a lot of parents and there's a lot of grandparents that are like, oh, my gosh, my granddaughter, somebody said this. Oh, my gosh, my son doesn't want to play anymore. This happened. Opposing coach said this. Opposing parent. All of that's got to stop. But that starts at the NHL level for me first, and then it comes all the way down to the grassroots. So that anybody that comes into a rink, regardless of your background, height, weight, color, sexual orientation, you know, your family's background, religious background, whatever the case may be, you feel comfortable, you feel proud of who you are, and you're happy to go to the rink. You're excited. You're not afraid to go. You're not dreading going. You're not uncertain. Uh, you know, you don't want to say that your parents are Indian or you don't want to say that they're Pakistani or you don't want to say that you're, you know, your mom's from Ireland and your dad's from Russia. Like, that should never happen to anybody. So that's the most important thing, Ribs. And then beyond that, you know, Ribs, you've been in the league a long time. The league, the clubs have a lot of pull. And they have a lot of pull with, at the local level, state, federal, or local, provincial, federal back in Canada. And they, they do know a lot of the politicians. They do have relationships with a lot of them and a lot of the senators and congresswomen and congressmen and try to bring about change through those relationships and try to legislate change, especially in and around police brutality, especially in and around, you know, racial equality, among other things. Of course, we talk about it with LGBTQ as well, but those things are really important. And you nailed it, Ribs, because our players will get behind anything. And you know that. You know how many golf tournaments you've played in St. Louis, all the work that the alumni's done, all the charitable events you do, all the hospital events you do. So there's a lot of things people already do that doesn't get talked about. And even around this, there's a lot of things. Like I can't tell you the amount of players, yourself, Ribs, people in the business, GMs, Sidney Crosby, Jonathan Tate, Patrick Kane, Luongo last night, yourself having me on today. There's so many different people that have always been supportive and that do great stuff already in markets, but it's important for us to continue to do that going forward. And the league has to be the beacon in that because, you know, our players do a lot of great stuff. And if our players have the support of the league behind us and then the communities around the world, be it St. Louis, be it Chicago, be it Toronto, Montreal, at an NHL level have that, that support in the community, then that has to filter down to youth hockey because we don't want to lose any more kids and uh, any more adults, for that matter, that want to be fans and kids that want to play due to this due to this uh, needless kind of scourge that is racism. You don't want to lose people to that anymore. Former NHL goalie, current broadcaster for the NHL Network, Kevin Weeks, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Weeks, we just got a couple of minutes left here, but I wanted sure. to ask you about the big question facing the Blues this offseason mm. as well. Of course, that's Alex Petrangelo and whether or not they're going to be able to bring him back for next season and beyond. What's your opinion on it? If you're Doug Armstrong and you're in those shoes, what do you do here? Do you find a way to make it work and bring back the captain? I can't speak for Doug. I mean, obviously Doug's done an awesome job there, especially last year and, and being patient when they were dead last in January and leading them to the cup. So Doug's done a great job. I can't speak for Doug, but one thing I'm going to tell you is they don't have a lot of Alex Petrangelo's out there. <laughs> they just don't. Those guys don't exist. They're hard to find. And, you know, we our prayers are up for J-Bo. We hope he, he gets 100% healthy. I'm not sure if he resumes his career or not. But if you can imagine being the Blues without – Petro and without Jabo potentially, or potentially without either of them, let alone one of them, 
I mean, that's, that's kind of catastrophic if I'm the Blues. So, you know, you have to find a way to make a deal that makes sense for both sides. That's always key. Is it term? Is it dollar amount? I mean, the flat cap doesn't help anything right now for any manager. It, it makes things challenging. The fact that the Blues are a cup-winning team, and, you know, anytime you have a cup-winning team, there's some cap casualties. I thought one of those was Patty Maroon. I thought Patty should have still been there. St. Louis kid, great in the room. Guys love him. Play, the bigger the game, the bigger he plays. But he was a cap casualty, unfortunately, quasi. But nonetheless, I can't imagine that team without their captain, Alex Petrangelo. He's one of the best defensemen in team history. Some might argue the best defenseman in team history. Can the St. Louis Blues not afford to have him? I'm not sure. Can Alex Petrangelo command on the market what he otherwise would have gotten for sure in the event that the cap wasn't flat for the next two years at 81.5 million? Probably not. Is it going to have the number that he would have gotten then? Probably not. But is there a number that's in line with the marketplace but still makes him feel whole and feel good and still affords the team the flexibility to make some moves? and doesn't eat up all the cap, sure, there's a number there. So hopefully there's a will. There's certainly a way, but hopefully there's a will on both sides to get that done. Because for me, I can't imagine the Blues without Alex Petrangelo and or Jay Bolmeister. Obviously, his health issue being paramount. But that's a very looking blue, different-looking Blues team. If I'm an opposing forward and Petro's not out there playing 20 to 25 minutes, and, you know, um, Pareko's not out there doing what he does, but he's he will be there. But without Alex Petrangelo, that's a different squad, man. Weeksy, I couldn't have said it better myself. I, I agree 100% with what you said. And uh, I do hope that Doug Armstrong and Alex Petrangelo find some common ground and get this done because he is the captain. And I do believe he extends the window for the St. Louis Blues if he's under contract. So, but anyways, Weeksy, listen, man. I really appreciate you coming on today. You know, like I said, we've known each other forever, and I just felt it was really important to have you on today, specifically here in St. Louis, where, like you said, there's a lot of diversity, and you took a time out of a really busy day to come on here and talk to us. So, buddy, I really appreciate it, man. I love you, and uh, can't wait to catch up with you someday. Love you too, bro. Thanks so much for having me on, and thanks to all the Blues fans that, that watch this on the network, on the NHL network as well, man. Uh, continue to stay healthy, stay safe, stay supportive, and everybody stay united and stay positive, man. And thanks to all of you that already have done that. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Same to you. That's Kevin Weeks, former NHL goalie, current broadcaster for the NHL Network, and all-around fantastic human being joining us here on 101 ESPN. We've got some breaking news from the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll get to that on the other side. Plus, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Some breaking news for the Cardinals. And by the way, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line for questions and answers. The Cardinals have announced that Andrew Miller is going on the 10-day injured list, retroactive to August 24th with left shoulder fatigue. Ruh-roh. So 10 days from August 24th would be a week from today. 
September the 3rd. That's when he would be eligible to return. That, to me, is less important than the fact that Andrew Miller is going on the IL with left shoulder fatigue. Remember when I said yesterday that I'd rather have Carlos at the back end of your bullpen because I don't trust some of those guys staying healthy all season? He was one of those guys. Man, this signing has just not gone as the Cardinals would have hoped. It just hasn't, man. I mean, last year, a 4-5 ERA. This year so far, it's... As with everything, short sample size, but a 4-7 ERA now going on the injured list certainly has not been as healthy as anybody would have hoped. The velocity has not been there. We talked about that, I think, a week ago with him. It's just it's down like five miles per hour from his peak. They have activated Junior Fernandez from the IL. He is now going to be up with the big league club for today as the doubleheader. Seth Elledge is going to serve as the 29th man for the Cardinals today. Just keeps getting better, doesn't it? I mean, gosh. Well, look, I guess, what is it? Shoulder fatigue, Mm -hmm. they're calling it. So let's try to dissect that. Let's try to uncode that. Is that like... It could be literally anything. Yeah. So, you know, it could it could just be the little bit of fatigue. Maybe they used him too much or maybe he's got a little minor injury that needs some rest. I'm trying to be positive here. I hope I hope that's all it is. I mean, that's that's all we can do. Right. Is is hope. And I know we're supposed to take that out of our vocabulary, but that's all you can do. No, God, no, God, please. No, 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 no. I believe that was Mike Schilt recorded earlier today. (laughs) For what it's worth, um, since the return to play, he pitched five times, August 15th, 17th, 19th, 22nd, and 23rd. Maybe just overwork. I I don't know. That's quite a bit of work. I hope that he's able to return soon, but he's got one year left on his deal. It just doesn't it doesn't feel great, given the fact that this is a guy that they paid decent money to and it just has not gone as expected. Six, five, seven, eight, zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the three, one, four. Guys, after uh, Jordan Bennington's play in the postseason, it raised some questions about the goaltending in the future. Just my opinion, but to me, Bennington is the type of goalie that only plays well when others around him play great. It's not a goalie that you can really depend upon to shut down a game. So my question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you on the trust that you have in Jordan Bennington to be your goalie of the future? Before I give that number, um, I hate to clap back at our text line, but... Yeah, Jordan Bennington, um, you're talking about a guy who can't elevate his game unless his team's playing great. I remember a number of games last year in the Stanley Cup playoffs, specifically Game 7 against the Boston Bruins in Boston. And without Jordan Bennington, you don't even have a chance to win a cup that night. He made so many incredible saves that the players, to a man, every one of them involved said, without Benny in there, we don't win that cup. So to me, guess what? He can certainly play well and elevate his game with the team not playing well around him. Uh, What was the question? One to ten, my Mm -hmm. confidence level in him? Yeah. I'm at about an eight, honestly. I think it's fine. The more I look at the small sample size of the bubble play, And even when he didn't win in the round robin, he was making some incredible saves. I think that things went sideways in that one series. So 
yeah, you know, you're going to have to regroup. But uh, this is a guy that's had a ton of adversity in his career. I, I, I still have a lot of faith in him. I'm putting it out of 10. I mean, look at from January until the postseason, there was no competition. Jake Allen played road games. Bennington played home games. And Bennington was the guy in the postseason. And people are still forgetting this guy won 30 games for you in the regular season. That was the third most wins of any goaltender in the mm-hmm. NHL. I mean, this was a goalie who who has never gone through this before. This was a goalie who just really couldn't get up to par when he needed to. But I'm confident it's always at a 10 with this guy. I'm not at a 10, but probably an 8. Probably pretty similar to you, Jamie. I mean, I, it was really, what, five bad games? Or f- Wasn't even. Like a few bad games. And it then was a couple three, of them. Three that, bad games. It that, was three bad games in the series is what it boils down to for Jordan Bennington. Yeah, he had a lot of goals against him in the round robin. But when we go back and look at that, you know, the six goals could have been 13 without Jordan Bennington. Yeah. And you you probably like him to make a few other saves there. But you're really nitpicking there. It's so... Yeah, I, I don't see any reason why we should be really down on Bennington at this point. But I, I can't be at a 10 because that's where I would have been last year at this time. Yeah. And I don't feel the same way right now that I did after him stealing a cup for the Blues. Like that, I, I can't go there. From the 618, by the way, the Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. Hey, guys, it looks like Toronto is clearing up some cap space. Do you believe that is to go out and give themselves the best possible chance to sign Alex Petrangelo? Uh, well, look, Toronto is in a whole heap of trouble when it comes to cap space. They, However they've managed to do it, they've, they've painted themselves into a corner with four or five contracts that occupy a huge portion of their salary overall. Uh, yeah, I think, listen, I think if Toronto, listen here, Toronto is going out to get a defenseman. Is that defenseman Alex Petrangelo that they're going to try and court back up to Toronto, the area that he's from? I mean, it could be. There's also Tory Krug that's out there. He's a heck of a defenseman. Tyson Berry, who they had last year, he's probably going to walk at that point, but you never know. Maybe they re-sign him to another deal. Uh, you know, So those are some of the, the characters involved in this. I definitely think Toronto is going to create cap space to acquire a player. In a dream world, I think they're able to come in and offer Alex Petrangelo a seven-year deal at whatever he wants financially because now they've got their their number one defenseman that they haven't had in, I don't know, a decade or so. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it goes hand-in-hand. Hand. I don't either. I mean, I think Toronto's going to make a run, but their run is going to be a, a very condensed one because they just they don't have the finances to go out there and pay a guy eight nine ten million dollars i mean if they do you're trading away a matthews a marner a nylander or a taveras you're trading away one of your big four yeah they're looking to get they're looking to move nylander's contract to that there's no i don't think that's much of a secret um but at the end of the day if you replace nylander with petrangelo it's like dollar for dollar is what you're going to do they're still in a bad spot financially after that according to cap friendly they currently have seven and a half million dollars in cap space but that's a little bit misleading because that only has 16 players on their roster yeah. right now they've got to field the team you yeah, know that, that's that's why cap friendly is tricky in the offseason because the contracts that are expiring come off of it right which you haven't replaced those contracts yet so it, it's misleading but even if they have what seven million yeah they'll give petro more than seven million so they're already over the cap and they have with 17 five, players <laughs> five restricted yeah. free agents and four unrestricted free agents going and into the offseason. They're not one player away from being a championship team. They got a lot of other no, holes. No, but that being said, 
with Morgan Riley, Undy, Jake Muzzin. If you added an Alex Petrangelo to that blue line and with Anderson playing well in net, I tell you what, it, it certainly improves that team a lot. But you got to get a goaltender who can make the stops, and Frederick Anderson has proven to not be able to make the big-time saves when they need him. Well, they, he needs a backup, though, too, because they overworked the yeah. heck out of that guy. And so. if you're trading away Nylander, you're taking a shot at your depth of scoring. And what do we just say about the Blues? Do you know what I hear? <laughs> I hear that Toronto's got a lot of problems. That's it. <laughs> they do have a lot of problems. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 636. Hey, BK, I'm grilling this weekend. Any suggestions on how I should do this? Ask your father-in-law to help. Is Keith available? Yeah. Let's patch him in. No, you don't like that, do you? It's not very nice. What's your buddy Ryan from the cooking video? Ryan, yeah, he's great. Uh, he's actually a finalist for being able to meet. I don't know if you guys have seen any of this, but might be able to go to Flavortown. Guy Fieri did yeah, a yeah, contest yeah, 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 yeah. to hey, be able to meet him. Can you pick up that name that BK just dropped? Did he ever? Well, it's not for me. Uh, but my buddy is just a finalist it. based on one of the videos <laughs> that he put together to meet Guy Fieri. Pretty it damn cool. wasn't your video, was it? No, nah, I wasn't included. It's in <laughs> like, wow, that's surprisingly enough. Uh, yeah, my, my suggestion would be uh, find somebody else that can do it. That's what <laughs> I do. <laughs> Keith's pretty great. So 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Final question for you guys uh, from the 314. It seems like there's a lot of rumors out there that Pareko could be traded this offseason. Do you guys feel like there's any chance of that happening? No, zero. Zero. I mean, look, at you You don't have Alex Petrangelo under contract right now as of yet. How are you going to even explore a trade with Colton Pareko? What do you, and again, going back to my original comments about uh, Petro, one, how do you replace Petro? Two, how do you replace Pareko? You're not finding another six foot six right-handed defenseman that skates as fast as any player in the NHL. What are you replacing that with? For what? Depth scoring? No, I'd rather take my chances on Robert Thomas, Jordan, Kyru, Klim, Costin, all these guys stepping up a little bit more than to make that any kind of a deal. Here's like the that. thing: you get rid of Colton Pareko, just like the Petrangelo, the, the the window closes. It doesn't close all the way like it does with Petro, but it sure as hell closes more than half the direction of what the Blues would have if they keep Pareko on this roster. The Blues have an identity. Their identity, in large part, is tied to Petrangelo. Pareko, Ryan O'Reilly. Those are the guys, and Braden Shin as well should certainly be included yeah. in that mix. Those are the guys that play the style that Craig Berube really wants to see his team play. And so when you have those guys and they make what you want to do work, you don't get rid of them. That's why we're saying the Blues need to do anything they can to find a way to bring back Alex Petrangelo. The same is true for those other guys. They locked up Braden Shin. They are they re-signed Ryan O'Reilly. They have him locked up for the long term. Pareko's here for the long term. Now it's time to do the same for Petrangelo. It's not time to move one of those pieces out. You're trying to keep those guys here and not doing the opposite. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We just got a text. I tuned in last week to hear Brandon <laughs> Kylie gushing over Tyler O'Neill. Then I watched Tyler O'Neill play baseball for a week and was very confused about all of these things that BK was saying. Was curious if you guys could uh, tape back when BK broke down all those things Tyler O'Neill was doing well. Just trying to learn here. Would love to hear the updated thoughts from BK on Tyler O'Neill. We're going to play a game of bet it or forget it coming up next. One of the questions. Yeah, we got to talk about Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> we'll do that coming up on the other side on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. So before the break, we had a texter text in basically asking, hey, BK, you told me that Tyler O'Neill was fixed. And now I watched baseball for oh, a week and fixed? Tyler O'Neill was not fixed. He's fixed. You know, what I mean. I'm about to get the puppy fixed. So, oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, you're I not am, talking about the same thing. I'm taking Belle, my dog, yeah. to uh, get her teeth cleaned next week. And Uh-oh. I can't wait to see the bill on that one. Yeah, we're getting the old uh, snip snip. It's got it's a fun day. It's got a heavy thing there, too. Tell you. Okay. Yeah. 65780 is their comfort service text line for better or forget it. So with the Tyler O'Neill situation in the back of our mind, better or forget Jamie and Ferrario, Tyler O'Neill will finish the year as the Cardinals' answer for one of their outfield spots going into next season. Oh, I'm betting it. I'm betting it. Tyler O'Neill, T-Money, you're my guy. Canadian guy, he's a little struggler at the plate lately. Okay, I, I get it, I get it. But he did come up with a big hit last night, and I think that uh, I think he's going to find his groove. And listen, I am so petitioning for the youth in the outfield. Like, I am banging that drum for the... For, yeah, exactly. And I want to see all these guys out there. So, yeah, I, I long answer, bet it. Forgetting it. I, I don't. I just You're I, fired. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ribs. I didn't. Uh, I didn't mean to take a shot. Um, look, I, I think we've start. We're starting to see what Tyler O'Neill is. He, he's a guy who can occasionally hit a home run for you. He's a guy who can occasionally run into a hit for you. But. I mean, we've already talked about this. If you're looking for the answer in the outfield, the answer's got to be more than somebody who goes one for four on a nightly basis. He gets on base, and that's good. But, I mean, if you're hitting in a spot like that as an answer for you, you got to get somebody who can score with runners in scoring position. There's something weird happening right now with Tyler O'Neill, and I don't totally understand it. He heard you say he was going to be the answer. He said he's getting fixed. He sucks that's against true. fastballs right now. Yeah. Like he's awful High against fastball them. too. Last night, a couple. Carlson he just whiffed saw right three of them too, though. Saw them. He's one for eighteen with four strikeouts against four seamers. Guys, is that good? This is the pitch that he has destroyed his entire career. The problem has been the off-speed stuff. It's been the breaking balls, and he's really struggled with those at times in his career. But the four seams is money maker. Like that is what he's just smashing and putting balls in the seats. It hasn't happened so far this season. And so if I'm going to bet on something, it is that's going to revert to the mean. At some point, he's going to start hitting fastballs again because that's what he's done his entire career. And it hasn't happened at that times this year. Meanwhile, he's doing really well against everything else. He's batting 250 against the slider, which is perfectly acceptable. He's had some nice hard hit balls against the slider as well. If he can continue that even to a slightly lesser degree, just be league average against the slider, and he actually starts hitting fastballs again, I think we're going to see something good coming from Tyler O'Neill. The best is yet to come. To answer the question, though, directly, I think Tyler O'Neill's future in St. Louis actually depends on what we see moving forward from Harrison Bader more than it does on what we see from Tyler O'Neill. Really? Let me explain that. Yeah, please do. Harrison Bader fits the identity of this team with what he does defensively. And if he can hit, okay. If he's treading water at the plate, I think he's going to be the future in center field. I think you're going to have Dylan Carlson in one of your outfield spots. And you've got uh, Dexter Fowler signed up. So I think at that point, 
you'd probably find a way to maybe find a taker for Tyler O'Neill. You trade him elsewhere and you move on with Dylan Carlson and Harrison Bader as your two young stalwarts in the outfield. So if Tyler O'Neill finishes strong and Harrison Bader finishes strong, I actually think you're going to see Bader here for the long term and Tyler O'Neill elsewhere. That play in left field defensively didn't help his case yesterday Not either. at all. No, that, yeah. That was rough. Six five seven eight zero. Error, though. It should yeah, have been. surprisingly. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, guys. As of today, the Cardinals are two games back of the Cubs in the NL Central. Bet it or forget the Cardinals will win this division at the end of the season. Wah, 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 wah. Oh my! Don't do it. I'm gonna say forget it. Ooh. Say forget it. I, wow. I do. I do think they'll be nipping. No faith. No, no, no. I got faith. They got you a lot of moving parts right now. Loser. Andrew Miller's out now, and they keep having these little things pop Jamie's up. Jamie's a Cubs fan. Jamie, I did hear you say oh. that. They're going to be nipping at the heels of the Cubs the entire way. I don't think they'll catch them to take the division, but that's going to be irrelevant because I think that uh, by the time the playoffs come around, that they're going to have a team that's going to be able to compete. Good pitching. Dylan Carlson will have had more time to get used to Major League Baseball. Maybe Tyler O'Neill's figured out. Maybe Harrison Bader's figured out. I just think they're going to continue to evolve as a team. Um, and hopefully they peak at the right time. But I don't think they'll win the division. I'm betting it. I, I, from what you've seen from the Cardinals, it doesn't seem like it's a flash in the pan. You're seeing Paul Goldschmidt hit balls. You're seeing some of these other guys, Paul DeYoung back in the lineup. Yeah, you're getting hit in the bullpen a little bit, but the depth, I mean, you take an Andrew Miller and you substitute it with an Alex Reyes, who I thought pitched well last night, other than when he started to get frustrated with himself, but that was more of a defensive blunt against him than it was actually Reyes on the mound. I, I, do, I just still don't see this Cubs pitching hold up. The offense is going to be there, but I don't know if they can out hit their blunders on the mound when it gets beyond their, their best pitcher in Kyle Hendricks. So I'm betting it. I think uh, I think the Cardinals will win this division. This is a tough one, man. This is a really tough one. That was a good question by whoever came up with it. Um, I'm betting it. What the hell? Actually, wow. you know what? For you, the Cardinals fan, for you, the Cardinals fan, I, I'm thinking about you right now. DK's trying to work his He's way He's trying back to win, and win yeah. everyone's hearts back. Yeah. Good one. I'm forgetting it. Oh. The Cubs are winning this division. They're clearly the best team in this division. That's There's true. no way <laughs> that the Cardinals are going to be able to overcome this juggernaut with this new manager who has just pushed all of the right buttons. He was clearly the answer for them. Everything that went wrong for the Cubs in the past was on Joe Madden. Everything that is going right for them now <laughs> is because of old Grandpa Rossi. So the Cubs are very clearly going to win this division. I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. We will be hearing more of that. (laughs) 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, guys. The Blues will have an external player join their top six forwards going into next season. Somebody that is not currently within the organization will get minutes with their top six forwards going into next season. I say forget it. And the only reason I say that is because I guess my answer 
100% depends on the re-signing of Alex Petrangelo because if they don't re-sign Petro, they will have some cap space at that point to go and, you know, maybe lure a forward over here that's a top six type player. If they sign Petro, then they're building from within at that point and using their current roster. I don't think you get a top six by trading some of the third or fourth line, maybe in a package deal, but I'm going to still go with forget it. I'm going to bet it. And this is a loose bet here, but I, I have a feeling the Petro is going to happen. They're going to have a little cap space because they are going to try and shift some things around with this roster. But I think in the circumstance of free agency this year and some players that are like borderline all superstars, like I think like a Connor Sheary is going to look at a team and say, OK, look, I'm not going to get as much money as I think I could on the market. So maybe I take a lesser deal to try and go with a contender to see if you can win. And I don't know if it's a guy who could play in the top six, but I think the Blues have seen what Blay and Sanford are and say, we got to see if we, there's something else out there. So I think Armstrong is going to find some type of deal in the offseason to play on the top six. I'm forgetting it. I When I listened to Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong over the last two or three days since they've been back home here in St. Louis and they have talked with the media, I don't get the sense that this is a team looking to make wholesale changes. I think this team truly believes that with the core that they currently have, they're a cup contender next year. They believe that. And if they believe that to be the case, I don't think they're going to look at this and say, we need a bunch of external improvements. I think they're going to say we need internal improvements. We need Robert Thomas to take that next step to be a scoring threat. Now we need to see the guys that are our left wingers that we currently have on the roster. Take that next step. In a lot of ways, I think they're looking at their wingers, especially the left wingers, the same way that the Cardinals looked at their outfielders. They want to see what they've got internally before they look external. Speaking of that, let's hear what Craig Berube had to say about the Blues making significant changes this offseason. Plus, Ferrario sent something to us last night that definitely pertains to the Blues. And we'll cycle through this as, as, as it talks about what the Blues style is and how it works in the playoffs still it's all coming up on 101 espn we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn i don't think there's a whole lot of you know, changes uh, that we want to make as coaches. Coaches that we, we play a good system. We like our system. Uh, the players like our system. So it's just about executing and going out there next. And that's basically what it all boils down to. And you know, by getting that team game back, we didn't have that in playoffs. I feel so that'll be important. Getting everybody on track. And we like to use everybody in our lineup. That doesn't sound like a coach ready to make a whole lot of wholesale changes. I was Craig Berube talking yesterday with Chris Kerber about what this offseason is going to look like for the Blues. And Jamie, as I was listening to him and as, as I was as I have been listening to Doug Armstrong in recent days on multiple different platforms, talking to multiple different people. This sounds like a front office structure, a coaching staff that believes in what they have inside of that locker room, which is totally reasonable. Most of this team is still the same one. Most of it, not all of it, as we talked about, is still the same core that won a Stanley Cup 
just 18 months ago. And so I totally understand where they're coming from from that perspective. It also requires bringing back Alex Petrangelo. But I think they're looking at this, and I'd be curious for your thoughts on this, Jamie. I think they're looking at it as, hey, we believe that Robert Thomas is going to be a star in this league, and we think that he's on the verge of becoming that. I think they're looking at this and saying, hey, we believe in Zach Sanford. We believe in Sammy Blay. We believe in Oscar Sundquist. And we want to see what we have internally before we turn external for any sort of support with our scoring. So when you look at it through what they're saying, I get it. I just think it might be a little bit different than what some on the outside looking in are thinking about what this offseason should look like. Blues don't need to change a thing. They really don't. And as far as their offense goes, uh, our buddy Chris Kerber brought it up the other day. Uh, they scored more goals than, than what, if like 20-some years mm-hmm. was the last Blues team that scored as many goals. So the offense obviously wasn't suffering that much, at least during the regular season. Now, do you need a better supporting cast in the playoffs? Yeah, but they put one series in a bubble. Like, you don't break down your team after that. You don't rip it apart. And that's why it is so important if they want to keep this window open to get Alex Petrangelo's contract done, to get Vince done figured out. You've got your goalies. You've got your decor. You have some great young players that will be pushing your veterans on the blue line for ice time. You have some really good young players that have yet to even get their opportunity. Clem Costin. Okay, Clem, what have you got for me? Show me what you've got. We're going to give you a third line left wing. We expect you to be like a Pat Maroon. We know you're not as big, but you do have a big, strong body. You can control the puck, protect the puck, grind it down low, and you've got great hands and the ability to finish. Time to see it. Austin Pagansky, you know what? You're like Mackenzie McEachern with a little more scoring touch. You got a lot of speed. You work hard. Time to see it. All the answers, guys, lie in their current system. Take Alex Petrangelo out, it changes drastically. Take Vince Dunn out, take them both out, it changes drastically. But to your point, BK, the Blues absolutely have exactly what it takes to go and win another cup next year and they don't even have to go outside to get it. They don't. And look, you're not breaking up the core. We all know what the core is for this team. But I think if you're keeping Petro, you are going to be breaking up some complementary pieces. You're going to have to trade away a Jake Allen. To me, that's an internal fix. You got Ville Husso. You signed him to a one-way contract. That's what it's there for. If you move on from a Steen, which I don't see as possibility now, hearing Doug Armstrong talk about that, or a Bozak, which, of course, might be a possibility, that's taking away a complementary piece to this roster to go win another cup. Can somebody step up there? Yeah, I think Sunquist can be a Tyler Bozak. But to me, it's a trickle-down effect. You don't have Tarasenko, so that puts more onus on a guy like a Robert Thomas or a Shen or a Schwartz to be a goal scorer up at that level. Or a Kairou or a Kostin if that's at that level. If you lose a Bozak, you're putting Sunquist in another role that's going to be more onus on him. Who's going to step up there? Can it be a Barbashev, a Kostin, a Pagansky? Yes, but it's the trickle-down effect in my eyes for Doug Armstrong looking at the outside saying, okay, this core is in place, but rather than stick with what we have because we've seen Sanford and Blaine now for a few seasons. I don't know if people are confident that they can be a top six forward. See if we can add something to this roster, much like what they did last year with the Maroon, with the O'Reilly, with the Perron. I don't know if he's going to be able to, but rather than break up the core, it's going to add to this team to enhance it rather than just stay as it is. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 618. If the Blues are able to, or, or 
are not able to retain Alex Petrangelo, doesn't something then have to change? Yes. Oh, yeah. My answer to that would be yes. And Jamie, as much as Chris Kerber brought up the stat of the Blues scoring more goals this year than in, in p- previous seasons, they were 14th in the NHL in scoring this year. They were averaging 3.1 goals per game, which is fine when you're also fifth in the NHL in goals allowed per game. If they finished the season this upcoming year 14th in scoring and they were 10th or 12th in goals allowed per game. Now you've got a problem. Mm -hmm. And now you look at the offense as, wow, they're not scoring enough goals. When you're scoring three goals per game and you have the defense that the Blues have currently, you can get away with that. You feel like you're one of the best teams in the NHL as the Blues were. If you're scoring that number of goals and your defense takes a step back, though, now it becomes an issue. And so this goes back to the identity that we were talking about in the past segment. The Blues have that identity because of their defense. And so they can get away with their top six forwards, maybe not being as dominant as some of the other teams that you see around the league where they're scoring all of these goals. If that changes and if they don't bring Alex Petrangelo back, that's when you have to change something. But my assumption is I think they're going to be able to find a way to bring him back because they look at what they did last year and they look at their current situation with their forwards. And how could you not bring that guy back? And remember, you had 21 comeback victories last year, which was first in the NHL, which is showing you that defensively let up a little bit. But you had to have a lot of chase hockey, which is a lot of onus on offensive players. And Craig Berube, guys, the team that he wants to coach. It's not the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right. And what I mean by that is it's not the, the teams that are in a track meet that are up and down the ice and no defensive responsibility and no grit. It's all flash. That's not Craig Berube's team. So to your point, BK, yeah, they're going to have to be tight defensively and they're going to have to be in the top five in the NHL for goals against. And that way, they're if they do have a mediocre offense overall or, uh, across the league, they still win hockey games, and they're still miserable to play against. They make life tough. So, yeah, it, I, they have to stick with this formula. I think there was a lot of talk as well during the postseason of, does this blue style still work? Can they still win this way? After we just saw them go up against the Canucks, a speed team, and the Canucks made it look bad at times. I, I think we've seen the answer now, that the answer to that question is yes, in part because of the Blues' own struggles and what led to those struggles. Army's come out and said, hey, you know, a lot of our guys, 20% of the roster was dealing with COVID issues, and that had different implications for different players, but you would imagine that some of that probably went into the conditioning problems, and that's in part why they looked slow against the Canucks. The other thing is because of what we're seeing right now in the Avalanche series. Now, last night excluded because that was a little bit of a different game for both teams. Oh, they ended up wild. But... The Stars have played well in the first two games against the Avalanche. They neutralized a lot of the Avalanche speed. And Ferrario, you sent us a link the other night, a Mm -hmm. story the other night about how they're going about this. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this because it it seems to indicate to me, hey, this style still works. You just got to be damn good at it. You got to be on your game for it to work. Yeah, it's a phenomenal uh, site that just goes straight off of stats um, looking at kind of it's the point data driven on social media and the way that they went about it was the size of the Dallas Stars use. And what did we talk about a lot with the Vancouver game? It was the transition where they beat you. Buck possession for Quinn Hughes, moving it up the ice. The Dallas Stars are doing to Colorado what the Blues did to Dal- or to uh, Winnipeg last year with the speed and San Jose last year with the speed and Boston with the speed. They're stopping them in the neutral zone. And we talked a lot about that, how the Blues were unable to do that. But if you look at the transition numbers for the Colorado Avalanche, the Dallas Stars have taken that from a double digit, which was 
leading the NHL in transition uh, minutes to basically dropping it down about eight different points. So Dallas Dallas's physical play with the forecheck and their ability to to make that Colorado transition and puck possession stagnant is why Dallas is having success against Colorado. And again, a little bit of different last night with a 6-4 win, but those games happen. But, uh, I mean, Ribs, when you looked at those numbers last night, it's exactly what the Blues were lacking against the Canucks, but it also shows you that the Blues had every opportunity to beat Vancouver because speed just doesn't play right now in the NHL when it comes to taking on those big, heavy teams that can beat you with the forecheck. Yeah, and listen, in no means is Alex saying you you don't have speed on your roster. Oh, of course it's, not. It's the complementing speed on your roster. And quite honestly, like Craig Berube has said many times, playing fast doesn't necessarily mean you have fast skaters. It means that you're closing out the opposition, you're taking away their opportunities, you're creating turnovers, and then once those turnovers are created – you're able to transition with speed and go from the neutral zone to the offensive zone quickly. That's called playing fast hockey. And yeah, the teams that are able to do it, you have to have the right personnel to do it for sure. And your big, strong guys have to be very, very good with the puck as well. You can't have just a big guy who has no puck skills because puck possession and cycling in the offensive zone and keeping the puck that's the big thing and so yeah th- this formula does work to your point Alex the Dallas Stars are, are doing a good job with it the Vegas Golden Knights yeah guys I know we've adopted this team now that our Blues are out they remind me a lot of last year's Blues team specifically those third and fourth lines the amount of puck possession that the Ryan Reeves line is getting those are not like skilled hockey players, okay? I'm not being a, a jerk here. They're not known as skilled players, but they're they're out possessing the other team with the puck. Yeah. Out of strength, out of being aggressive, out of protecting the puck, out of putting the puck in the right spots. So yes, there's still a very big appetite for teams to win in the NHL with that style. And as the article points out, Dallas and Vegas are forcing Colorado and Vancouver to play their game, which is what the Blues did last year. They talked about the offensive zone passes for those teams. It's at a high rate. But the problem is there's zero slot possession time, which means they're passing it around to the outside like they were doing against the Blues, Vancouver, that is. But they're not getting anything in the slot, so they're taking outside shots, and it's turning around and going the opposite direction. They are forcing the opposition to play their game, and that's why this big, heavy style always works in the NHL, because if you force that team to play your style— they lose what they're using, and it's speed because they got to play the big style. One thing, too, to remember is last year, we saw it in every series after the Winnipeg series. We saw every team come out in game one, and they were going to run the – they were going to well, – you know, we're not going to be pushed around to the right. Blues, right? And they'd run around and hit everything that moves. Guess what? That plays into their hands yep. because that's not in their comfort zone. That's not what they're used to doing. And to play that kind of a game, it takes a tremendous amount of – finesse and stamina that has been built up throughout the course of the regular season to play that way and so it's it's like you said you know welcome to my world yeah. now come in here it's not so fun over in this area here and san jose is a team that found that yep. out uh, every team for the matter that, that the blues played found that out quickly that the more we try to punch them back in the face uh, this might work against us a, l- 
A Sorry, little bit of news to pass along here uh, from the NHL. According to Frank Saravalli, players in at least one NHL dressing room have conducted a vote not to play their Stanley Cup game tonight. Also from Elliot Friedman, uh, he tweets out that players, of course, in the NHL are being told to prepare for cancellations tonight in the NHL playoffs. So we might see something on that later this evening. One more from our very own Andy Strickland says uh, that he can confirm the reports of hearing games in both hub cities will be canceled tonight. So the NHL, it appears, will uh, not have games tonight. They will postpone their games tonight. Meanwhile, in Major League Baseball, where we saw some of this uh, last night, three games were postponed and Mookie Betts, among other players, decided to opt out of the games last night. Uh, Mookie Betts back in the lineup leading off for the Dodgers for game one of their doubleheader today and for the Cardinals. Um, it appears that Dexter Fowler will be in the lineup as well. It was expected that that would be the case. Mike Schultz said after the game last night, hey, Dex, we, we fully anticipate he'll be back out there tomorrow. Uh, Dexter Fowler is starting in right field in the Cardinals initial lineup for today, and he will be batting eighth in the lineup. So they've got Colton Wong, Tommy Edmond playing shortstop in this first game. Paul Goldschmidt is playing DH. Brad Miller at third. Tyler O'Neill in left. Yadier Molina. It sounds like he might actually catch both of these games today batting sixth Matt Carpenter at first base for you oh boy batting uh batting eight, uh seventh Dexter Fowler in right batting eighth and Dylan Carlson will be playing center field for the Cardinals batting ninth bet today. after this game you're all going to be missing Ranjo Ravello First who? baseman. Don't you who me. You know who Ravioli is. <laughs> <laughs> With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer coming up next. On We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go ahead and dive into the junk drawer. Boys, do you like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Are you fans of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter yeah. jelly. Who is it? Yeah. Would is it you... jam or jelly? Which one's the one for you? Or does it matter? Uh, I don't really care. I, I prefer jelly. What's the difference? I don't like grape jelly. I can tell you the difference, though. but it has to be off the air. But, I, but yeah, I always been PB and okay. Sorry, side. Sorry. <laughs> what do you go with? Jam must be a Canadian I don't know, whatever's thing. available in the fridge. Okay. PB Mustard? and jelly jam. What is your go-to jelly in terms of like the flavoring? So Strawberry. which strawberry is mine as well. Mine. I like raspberry as well. Yeah, raspberry is my favorite, but my wife doesn't buy it at home because my kids like grape jelly. Uh, so now by default, grape jelly has become my favorite, not just because I don't have another one there. That's the only my one I can't loves do. grape too, and I hate it. Kara love, loves grape jelly. I don't understand it. I don't understand how that's the go-to. Anyways, the reason why I'm asking is because uh, I would never order a PB&J at a restaurant. Now, I like peanut butter and jellies. I'm perfectly happy making one for myself for a snack or a late-night snack, whatever. Uh, I certainly wouldn't order one for $350. What? Wait, what? There is a restaurant. I thought, I, I thought my headset broke up there. There is a restaurant in Chicago that is selling the most expensive PB&J in the world. They are doing so for $350. This over-the-top creation 
is built around a loaf of bread <laughs> that has gold dust baked into the flour mm. and an edible gold leaf topping. I ask this in all sincerity. Why would anybody order that? Can I just sell it instead and say there's gold in it? Uh, I think the clientele that orders that is someone who has enough money they don't really care. Like, I can't see me going out after we're done here on air and be like that, you know, we're going to have lunch or do whatever. And I'm like, gosh, I'm really craving that gold PB&J. I'm going to go blow 350 bucks on a sandwich. Like, that's just not going to happen. When my wife and I went up to Michigan a couple weeks ago for our, our little vacation, there was a grilled cheese stand. They, they sold grilled cheese sandwiches, and they're like 25 bucks a grilled cheese sandwich. There are some really good grilled cheese sandwich places out there, there though. But the grilled thought, cheese is different than this. But how I won't do you stand it? for this. No, <laughs> but how do you do it different? 20 bucks plus is a lot for a grilled cheese. How do you do a grilled cheese different to what you could do at home other than oh, different cheeses so that's the thing some of these i will say this i've been to the some of these bread grilled is cheese. different a lot of the places will use a specific style of bread and cheese different cheeses you can put toppings in there yeah it, it's almost it becomes almost like pizza at that point but like a sandwich version of a I pizza know, but i don't think you can sell me on a sandwich i can make at home for anything over five bucks i'm I, not disagreeing with you 25 bucks is a little yeah, that's probably little more pricey. than i would be willing yeah. to pay yeah it's a lot more now listen um how much would you be willing to pay to get rid of your stress, anxiety, your depression, right? Probably. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of money, yeah, but, but whatever you would I've be, got. You would be probably. BK needs it right now at the wedding. Yeah, no, there you go. Okay. So, BK, let's talk about your wedding, we right? We're officially into the photography portion of the wedding planning. Welcome to stress. Yeah, stress. Okay. So, we're not the only ones who have stress, by the way. Okay. Just finding this out this morning um, that stressed out, anxious, and depressed. Yeah. It turns out elephants are a lot like us and they suffer from the same things and uh so what 2020 must be hurting them too then 2020 yeah so what they're doing at the warsaw zoo is they've uh, taken four elephants and they're now uh using medicinal marijuana on the elephants i have questions guys i have questions uh, first one is, do I want an elephant, which is the size of, oh, I don't know, uh, a, a bus? Do I want an elephant feeling a little bit baked out there just roaming around? Well, typically, I don't know if you have um, seen any movies where they maybe use a little bit of uh, yes. cannabis, cannabis product. Um, more often than not, you're not like roaming around from what I understand, uh, while you're high but sometimes on, they, on medicinal marijuana. From what he understands. From what I understand is you can from also what I've seen in movies get really friendly though and gregarious. And even though you don't mean to, you know, I don't know, I smash into things cause you're an elephant. You might just be having fun. More of the movies that I see include, uh, eating and sleeping and melting into a couch. So I don't if there's couches in the way, maybe that could be problematic. That could be a hazard. How are they going to get them to smoke? Like, do you, put it in the water so they drink it. You think? Yeah. It's a See, good I'm question, like, actually. What do you do? Are you doing oils at do that you point? Slap a big helmet on them and smoke it in there. Like <laughs> <laughs> doing a gas mask. <laughs> I think we. <laughs> I think we all of us can agree, though, that it's the only way to truncate anxiety and depression, right? <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you've got any thoughts on that story. Uh, so I've got another story to throw at you, Jamie. We talked a lot about how I believe it was the Canadian government that said, if you are going to uh, participate in intercourse during this pandemic, try to have a block, something blocking you in between, right? Yeah, to kids. make sure that you are safe. Have kids. <laughs> to, make, to make sure that you are safe Good while participating in the act. <laughs> well, uh, nude life models are now going to have something not quite the same thing, but similar. They're going to be required to wear face masks uh, when their drawing sessions resume. So Wait, these, what? these models the are ones that pose the nude models nude. They pose nude for artists. Okay. So whenever they return to be able to do their jobs, because this is what they are paid to do for a living. Uh, they will be required to do so with a mask on at all times. Why? Well, you don't want them to breathe. They got, they're not two feet in front of you. Well, maybe, how do you know? Maybe they need a close-up. You don't think I've posed for those? Have you? I was just going to ask that. Uh, Speaking of elephants. Sad, sadly, I have seen uh, not quite those pictures from Jamie. Oh, what the- <laughs> Oh, you've seen them? Did you subscribe to the OnlyFans.com on Jamie Rivers? See, OnlyFans Unintentionally. Oh. Have you speak, never heard this story? So this was back when it was uh, Stalter and Rivers. No, I back when the show was much better. Story. I don't even know how it happened anymore. Speaking of we elephants. We were all, you know, this was early pandemic days. <laughs> <laughs> we were all uh, sipping on some, some drinks at home yes. separately sipping on in quarantine. And uh, one thing led to another. That never is a good thing. And suddenly Jamie is sending. I was going to say half naked, but I don't think that tells the full story. Uh, more or less naked pictures of himself. Nice. Not completely. Nothing the, down I there. Think there was a, I think there was a speedo. Waist up. And that was pretty there much was it. Underwear. That was the whole point. It was a photo shoot. It was a photo. It was a modeling thing. I thought I'm the first thing lying. I needed to do was send it to my co-hosts. I, it, it was pertinent that night. Whatever we were discussing <laughs> that night, because he blacked somehow out. Somehow it became relevant that night, and so I found these things. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is hilarious." The real question, him, BK, is how did it look? I, he, he looked like a young man. <laughs> At the time, what you were in your mid twenties, probably. Yeah, you just rocked up. I'll tell you that much. Rocked up. Rocked up. Yep. It was a nice reminder of how bad I feel now about myself. Yeah. <laughs> the hard pose. In the last few months, I have seen more pictures than I would like of Jamie either in underwear or a Speedo. <laughs> and when I say more pictures than I would like, I've seen at least one of either. Don't show them, don't show them to Kara. <laughs> yeah. She, not those yeah. ones. The ones I have now, yeah, there's no, no, no risk there. <laughs> He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie from the 314. What I'm hearing is that 101 ESPN needs to put together a Speedo calendar. I'm Hell in. yes. I'm in. Nobody Hell wants yes. that. Nobody wants Nobody to wants that. Nobody wants it, but I'm in. I'm in. Who do you think would... S- not asking that question. <laughs> Ask the question. Joey Vitale is going to join us coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
alongside former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by our guy, Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey, we're sad that we don't get to hear you on games anymore, but we're happy to have you here on the show. How you doing today, man? You're not sad to not hear me anymore. Stop it. No one wants to hear me. It's not true, Joey. Couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, even if it meant that we got to deal with you on the call, I would love to still be at least watching Blues hockey. (laughs) Well, hey, guys, I I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's disappointing to not be calling games uh, for a little while. Hopefully hockey has a date in sight soon. We can look forward to the next year. But, uh, no, it was a a fun and weird and – I would say spooky, spooky few weeks. So that that's the best way to put it. Uh, sum it up there. That bubble in Edmonton. It certainly was. Jamie, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Joey. In talking to some of the players, uh, there were mixed reviews on the bubble situation. But one thing I found interesting, and I talked about it on the show with with BK and with Tinfoil Ferrario here, and we, I just said the players got to a point up in the bubble where. The handshakes became hugs and guys were trusting each other with, you know, obviously their health. But then there were a couple of guys I talked to said upon coming home here back to St. Louis that they were really happy to be back, but they were nervous a little bit because of the outside world. And, uh, you know, it just, I just found it interesting that hockey players and these people in the bubble had such a trust for each other. You know, Jamie, I'll be honest with you. You lost me at tinfoil Ferrario. I didn't hear a word you said after that. When did this nickname come about? Well, actually, I can't take credit for it. I believe uh, BK came up with it. But, you know, tinfoil has all these conspiracy theories, right? And he dives into things all over the place. And so now he's tinfoil Ferrario. <laughs> Mr. Hot Taker, I love it. Uh, you, you know, yeah, coming back, I guess joining this. <laughs> hey, Joe, let's be honest here. This nickname's better than Man Boobs. Uh, yeah, Man Boobs. That was a tough one. That was a tough one for your while, and I think your boobs look pretty good, Alex. Thanks, but buddy. No, I, I think, Staring um, at him right now. I, know this guy, he, I, I was telling him the other day, he looks good. He looks good for being married. Usually guys get married, they put on some pounds, then you Uh-oh. become a father, and you really put on the pounds. But <laughs> Have fun with that, BK. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so back to back to life, back to normal. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, where he basically lives on this island with his volleyball for, I don't know, like three years or something. He has to, like, study the tides and finally figures out a good way after making this boat and losing, like, 300 pounds. It's time to go home, and he ends up making it home, and it's, it's, a, it's a scene where he's, like, pouring water into a glass, and he, like, takes a sip, and he looks at it, and you just see this appreciation for water because he's never been able to have clean water except, well, there, there is times when it rains, and he gets those banana leaves, those big old banana leaves, and he, like, traps the water. So th- there's that fresh water. But besides that, he's not able to get any fresh water. So there's appreciation for fresh water. So where I'm going with this is I think these players have a new appreciation uh, for their kids, for their wives, for, for getting outside. How about this, guys? Feeling grass on their feet. I don't think there was a lot of grass in their bubble. I think now there is. There's, like, a football field or something. But before, it was, like, this concrete basketball area with, like, tables and chairs. Uh, but feeling grass. It's a good thing none feet. of the players brought their dogs. You, well, you dog on tootin' because it's gonna be hard to scrape <laughs> that up. You need, you, need to, you need to come back with a scraper for that for that one. But yeah, no dogs. And I mean, but, but yeah, that's another thing. Dogs. You happy to see the dogs again? And you know, I, I know it didn't end the way it wanted. But to me, guys, I mean, Ribs, BK, and Alex, you guys know these guys personally. 
these are great people, and as tough it was to see them lose, uh, your heart goes out for them, and you feel for them on a personal level, and you're so happy that they're back uh, with their families. First of all, great documentary, Castaway. I very much enjoyed that. <laughs> Second of all, Joey, now that they are back and we've got the off season to look forward to, we've spent a lot of the last few days on our show talking about where do you go now with Alex Petrangelo? And we're kind of all on the same page. You got to find a way to make this thing work. You got to bring back the captain because he's such an important part of what you're trying to build here. And I heard Doug Armstrong in particular say, I believe it was last night on 101 ESPN that the Blues are in the middle of a five-year window here. Joey, if they don't bring back Alex Petrangelo, in your opinion, is that window still open the same way that it is if you are able to bring him back? Well, number one, uh, your doggone right castaway was a good movie. In fact, uh, Tom Hanks should have won a Best Actor Award for that movie. He actually won the two previous years. I think it was Philadelphia, and I know for a fact Forrest Gump. Yeah, he so was he was hot. They thought it would be a three-peat. And then this, and then this warrior named Maximus comes in, and Russell Crowe snipes it from him for his role in Gladiator, which kind of disturbed me to this day because, you know, like, here's this great movie. I'm not taking any away from the movie. The movie's great. But the acting, like, Russell Crowe, I feel like he had, like, two lines in the entire movie, but then he was, like, fighting a tiger. I don't know. To me, that's, that's not worthy of a best actor. But anyway. But wait a minute. Documentary. Wait, wait, wait Joey, let's, let's dive back into that. So if he had those two lines, if he's not talking, don't you think it falls more than on the actual acting and not so much the, what he's saying? Well, to my point, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm talking about, Ribs. Like, Tom Hanks is on a freaking island by himself. Like, he wasn't talking to anyone. Well, it was he talked just, to it the was volleyball. All, well, Wilson was there, but he's not even real. He's a freaking ball with a bloody hand. Like, well, that's, the Tiger that's, wasn't real either. Wow, are you kidding me? That's, that's thing's like Clifford size. Are you kidding me? He's like a big stripy dog out there. He's fighting for all these people. No, my, my, my argument is that I think that it was a great movie, and I thought it was a great – he did a great job. But I just don't know if it's best actor worthy. But then, like, that line, though, at the end where he says, you know, a murder to a, a father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will get my vengeance in this world the next – I mean, that was a sweet line. That got so if me. It's one, if it, yeah, I mean, I still, get, I still get goosebumps. I mean, it's no – Wilson! About, Let's yeah. be honest. Wilson, not so much, but it was sad when he lost him on the current. But, you know, the, 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 the Petro thing is interesting – with this because, you know, you look at this window, guys. A part of me is like, yeah, you got this four- to five-year window. Are you a better team with Petro? Absolutely. Can you financially make it work? Yeah, you can make it work. So why not go get it? I, I like to think, and I, I'm a believer in, make the signing, just do it, and then if you run into cap hell in four years or five years, then just deal with it because if, if you're in this window and you're on this run, then you should feel very good about making your team the best it can possibly be. Can we can we win another championship in the next four years? I think so. Can we win two? Who knows? Who knows, right? But uh, you got to give your, yourself the best chance. And I think when Petro's on your team, he's a much he's a, he is, this is a much uh, scarier team from top to bottom. So th- that's something to really uh, consider. But then the other thing with that four to five year window thing, guys. I mean, we're talking about Doug Armstrong. Uh, listen, you, you get rid of Bacchus, you get rid of TJ Yoshi, you, you know, you trade away uh, Paul Stastny, right? We all thought that window was closing. And then within the summer, boom, then he signs Ryan O'Reilly, David Prime, Pat Maroon. All of a sudden, a whole new window completely opens up uh, for the Blues organization. So I don't think Doug's a guy that's going to say in four years, well, you know what, it's just time to rebuild. I think he's going to be the old Jim Rutherford, uh, as you know, right next to Jim Rutherford for Pittsburgh, one of the most aggressive GMs in the league, where he's not satisfied with the rebuild mode. I think he's going to turn the page in three to four years, and he's going to be thinking about making moves. 
so these windows stay open as long as possible. Yeah, okay, so to your point, Joey, and I, I brought this up earlier in, in the show, is I think if you re-sign Alex Petrangelo and you're able to keep some of the big pieces in play, this could turn out to be like a Chicago Blackhawks decade that they had to where they were very dominant team, but they ended up winning three cups in that time. And it, it extends the window here from five to maybe seven or eight years to have championship quality teams. I, I mean, do you agree with that? I do. I do. And that's a great example because look at Chicago. They win those three cups and now they're in cap hell with Seabrook. Seabrook, I think he has three years left on his deal. He's not coming back. So they're going to have to eat up a bunch of money. But that's okay because you won three cups. Look at L.A. Drew Doughty's making 11 Shamil. That's right, 11. 11 million bucks for like the next 100 years. But you know what? They won their cups. They won their cups. So you know what? If you're L.A., yes, you're in, in, in extreme cap hell now uh, between between uh, the, the Carter. Now you got Kopitar and you got Brown and you got Doughty. They got guys making so much money. But, but they, they won those cups. They earned those contracts. And they, they try to win another one within that short window they had. They missed that window, and now they're in cap hell. But at the same time, you still do have cups to, to, to fall back on. So, again, I don't, I don't see a problem with that. If you sign Petro, maybe it's a little much. Let's say it's $8.5 million. You put yourself behind the eight ball up a little bit, maybe. Can you go get another top six forward? Yes. You can go get uh, a Toffoli out there or Galchenyuk or just someone who can fill that top six role maybe this, this offseason, maybe a, a Taylor Hall. Who knows? But then you can be really effective and you can be a really dominant team for the next three to four years and just maximize the potential, maximize the players as best as you can. And then when four years is up, and let's say we don't sign Ryan O'Reilly or you know Vladimir Tarasenko takes off or Colton Pareko goes, takes, tests the market, he goes somewhere, then you say, you know what? Hell, three years, we, we gave it the best shot we had. We signed the best players we knew we, knew we could get. And we made a run at it. And maybe we have a couple cups at the end of the day or maybe one, one more to, to say, well, job well done. Joey, last question that I've got for you. We talked a lot going into this bubble situation of, uh, okay, if they're going to re-sign Alex Petrangelo, which sounds like you're on the same page as the three of us in this room, we, we all agree that they should. You're probably going to have to make moves elsewhere because that's how this cap works, right? And one of the names that got brought up a lot was Jaden Schwartz. And Joey, after seeing this news with Vladimir Tarasenko and his injury and looking at the depth that they have right now as a, for their left wingers behind Jaden Schwartz, I just don't know that that's a move they can afford to make this offseason. What do you think the future holds for Jaden Schwartz with just that one year left on his contract here in St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, when did Jaden Schwartz become expendable? When did when did we look at this player and say, yeah, we, we could lose him to sign someone else? Guys, Jaden Schwartz was like probably our most consistent forward alongside Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. You know, I, I would put him right there with Brayden Chen throughout these playoffs. The kid scored 12 goals last year in the Stanley Cup run and just one shy of Brett Hall's record in the franchise history here. I mean, Jaden Schwartz is, is one of the players, I've always said this, that can single-handedly take over a game. I, I think Petro has that capabilities, and I think Schwartz, you have all the forwards. I look at him as being that spark plug, being that little swizzle Schwartz, getting in the corners and moving his feet. Uh, I loved his energy. I loved his aggression. I love his consistency over the last few weeks here. I know it didn't show much on the scoreboard. But it's there. The effort's there. Uh, to me, Jaden Schwartz is not expendable. I think this is a guy that's a priority uh, to sign for this team, much like Petro, because of all the intangibles he brings uh, to the game. He pushes that first line along. 
He, he's a momentum-shifting guy. Uh, he's an incredible locker room guy. He's an incredible player, incredible person. He's a joy to be around. I mean, this is a player that, uh, if, if the price is right, I think Doug Armstrong has got to do what he did to Braden Chen and kind of shock everyone midseason out of nowhere. We show up to the rink, and, and Jaden Schwartz is under a, a contract extension, in my opinion. He's Joey Vitale. You can hear him each and every week right here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. He is the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey, we always appreciate the time. We sincerely enjoy having you on the show. Thanks so much for having on with us today, man. Hey, boys, you guys are a great team. Love listening to you guys. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you guys next week. You're the best. That's Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. The MLB trade deadline. Is it going to be marred by the fact that there's people losing their jobs in these front offices? Talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. So I was on Twitter last night and I read this from Jason Stark of The Athletic. He tweeted out, one executive that I spoke with thinks that teams having to fire or lay off certain people within their front offices could have an impact on the trade market. Quote, it's just a really tough look to take on a big contract and a salary dump type of a deal when you're asking your employees to take pay cuts as well. End quote. I never had even really considered this, Jamie. We had talked about all of the other issues that could potentially lead into this trade deadline. You don't have as many scouts as you once did. You don't get to see these prospects playing at the AAA, AA, single-A level the way that you typically would this season. You're looking at your team and you're saying to yourself, are we a real contender or not? I'm not really sure because everybody is jumbled up into this muddled mix in the middle in Major League Baseball right now. And then on top of all of that, the primary question is, how much does this season even even really matter? Are we approaching this season the way that we would a typical year? And oh, by the way, there's the money issue. Are we going to take on more money right now and for the future when there is so much uncertainty both now and in the future with what your revenue is going to be? So when you add all of that up and then this on top of it. I don't think we're going to see very much activity at the trade deadline this year. I think you're going to see some. and We've already seen two trades so far, based on my understanding. But I don't think you're going to see very many big names. I don't think you're going to see the Dodgers making a typical Dodgers-like move at the deadline. I think it's going to be a lot of relievers. Maybe a guy like Lance Lynn gets dealt at the deadline. And that's probably going to be the biggest name that we actually see moved. You think these teams really... Uh... Do you think that asking employees to take pay cuts, do you think this really is going to impact a team in their decision to make a trade or acquire something? Like, if you just isolate the Dodgers, which is, you know, listen, that's a tough example because they have the TV contracts that are are phenomenal. But I don't know. I just look at teams. I, I think sports in general and the entertainment business overall is very shrewd business. And... I just don't see a team that if if a if a general manager or an owner rather sees a chance for his team to be competitive in the World Series, I don't know if he's going to stop and pause and wonder about you know individuals that work for them in some aspect. Bill in accounting that had to take a bill in accounting. Yeah, I don't think cut. he's going to care. I think we do because we're in the pit with all we're we are employees, right? We're not owners, so we care. We talk about it, and it matters. But I don't know if the billionaire owner cares about that 
I think it's about the perception. And I think right now. Do you think they care? Perception? Were you not? I know you were here during all those negotiations. The players. Biblical? Were the the losses biblical? Yeah. We want to talk perception? I I hear what you're saying. And and it's a fair point. It absolutely is. (laughs) Um, I think there will be certain organizations that do care about that. And there will be a lot of others that don't. And so you're just. Everything that is adding up here, whether it be the money situation with their actual loss of revenue, and there will be certain teams that just are not looking to add contracts right now. They are trying to get rid of contracts instead of adding on more money, uh, whether it be the lack of scouting that you have, whether it be uh, what the lack of players available, because there are just so few teams that are legitimate sellers right now. You had all of that on top of this. And that's where I think this is kind of like the. The straw that broke the camel's back, right? Maybe this is just one more thing that if you were already talking yourself into not making a move, this can be another thing that gets added into that bucket. And it just you're weighing it and it weighs too heavily on one side as opposed to the other one. I could see some general managers actually going into praying mode, like praying on teams. P-R-E-Y. Yeah, 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 yeah. Predator, prey, praying on whatever. Yeah, I, I can see general managers sitting there going... Yeah, we're going to be a team that scoops up these players. We know that some of these teams, financially, they'd love to get rid of some of these big-time players. Eh, You know what? Let's be that team. Let's go and get these guys, and let's create a team for ourselves for the next two, three, four years, whatever it is, based upon what's out there in the market. Some teams are just financially blessed more than others, just like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox. They all have this money that they can just grab and be like, ah, you know what? Well, we'll take a little bit less on the on the profit this year. I think you're going to see some very active GMs, you know, looking for those players that they can, for lack of a better word, steal from teams because of the finances. I wonder too if you see some of those bigger names that are coming up to contract years, to where you can get them for the playoff run and then them become a free agent, and you're not affecting your team as much because they're hitting free agency. Because there are some some players out there that are headed into that area that could be like a Trevor Bauer, for instance. I mean, I don't know if the Cincinnati Reds are going to move him because they're he's in an interesting be, spot. He's in a free agency year, and I don't know if they're going to pay him to to stay there. So that could be somebody on the move. The other part that I'm thinking of while you guys are talking about this is. What's the what's the financial gain if you make it into the postseason? Like, let's say you go two rounds, because usually when teams try and make those moves, of course you're making the move for the World Series, but you're seeing a gain in terms of more butts in the seats for postseason, yeah, you're and yeah. you're making more ticket money. Are you making money off of going into the playoffs? Because, yeah, you're going to make some bonuses, but I don't know if it's the same revenue gain that you would if you play two rounds of the postseason and you got more more butts in the seats. When Kansas City, for instance, made it to the World Series, they like their entire their game plan for what their future would hold changed because they were able to bring in that extra gate revenue right. from their two playoff runs. And it's the same thing here in St. Louis. It's why they want to make the playoffs every single year. It's why it's one of their key goals is because when you get there, well, the gate revenue just increases exponentially as a, as a result of that. We got a text six, five, seven, eight, zero is the air comfort service tax line from the six, one, eight. You just said that teams are looking to get rid of money by getting rid of players. And then you said that there's not a lot of sellers on the market. Here's what I mean. I I think a lot of teams would love to shed some contracts, but there's not takers out there for that. And then you add on the fact that like you brought up the Cincinnati Reds for Ario. The Reds right now are two and a half games out of the playoffs. Are they just going to give up on the season as a result of that? Like now, when I say that, there's kind of a double edged sword here. They're two and a half games out. 
but they're also 14th in the National League. So they've got a lot of teams between them and right now the Giants, who would be that eighth eighth team in the National League postseason. The only team that's really totally out of it right now in the National League Pittsburgh. is the Pirates, and they're five and a half games out right now. So that's where things get dicey is how do you make these determinations? If you were going for it at the beginning of the season and now you're just a couple of games out near the Reds, well, am I really selling at the deadline or do I just kind of eat it and see what happens over these next 35 games? And hopefully we're able to make a little bit of a run. I think that's what we're going to see most of is team standing pat. Maybe you'll see a couple of real contenders adding like they typically would. Yeah, I think you're going to see a couple of greedy GMs going out there going, OK, you're shedding salary. I'll take it on. And then they take on like a really nice reliever, right? Trevor Rosenthal, for instance. I yeah. think he'll get traded at the deadline. We just saw the last couple of days. He, he looks like the old Rosie right now. You're going to see guys like that that get dealt. I think a Lance Lynn probably will get dealt at this deadline because he's he's cheap. He's cost controlled. Maybe you look for another team that he's says pretty well, too. Yeah, he's been awesome. Yeah. And you look at that and you say it's not just an answer for us right now, but it's cost control for the future as well as a starting pitcher for us. I just I think it's going to be a little bit more light in terms of what we see at the deadline than what probably all of us were hoping to. see. So I just pulled up the upcoming free agent class just to see other names out there. And I don't know if it's a big name, but where are the Angels at right now? Uh, not good because they got Angelton Simmons, who is another weapon that you could see. So it's not you're not seeing superstar names like you usually do at the trade deadline. But I think when you look at the free agent class next year, you could see some of those guys be dealt out because one, you're shedding the salary from your roster if you don't feel like you can contend. And two, you don't have that question. Are we going to resign you because we can't afford it? You could send them off and get yourself some prospects. And if you're another team that's taking that on, it's a very small percentage of that contract that you're then taking on compared to what it would typically be. But also, if you're that other team, well, what am am I really going to take that guy on for what amounts to what, 25 games? Right. I don't know. It's 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 a really fascinating question. And this is what the people in the front offices, those members of uh, the front offices are asking themselves right now. How, How do we approach all of this? What's what's the difference between this and a typical season? And if you're the Cardinals for for instance, it's even bigger than that because they've played fewer games than all of these other teams. So they have even fewer questions that have been answered thus far than your typical team. There's plenty of time still to get there, but it's, next Monday is officially the trade deadline. We're getting closer and closer as we go along here. The Cardinals have a doubleheader today and then a series over the weekend before that. For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie, crossing things over with the Fastlane BT in studio with us. So we're talking about this off air. What good has come this year? There's got to be well, good things, right? You just got engaged, buddy. Congratulations. Yeah. No, you are Listen, really oh, digging the hole, right? Goodness. What the good wor- has come of this? Oh, the yeah, I just got to hell, But my life's been great. Got engaged, you got a promotion, you got $1,200 well from the government. This has been great. BK is essentially, uh, essentially Purell. Like, like, <laughs> like, it sucks out here, but it's all gravy for I, us. I'm actually yeah. Zoom. <laughs> I just got off got of Zoom. Yeah, 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 they're doing all right. So they have done well. Everything else, meanwhile, yeah, uh, you know not what? so great. But the Cardinals. Did- Playing good ball, man. Figuring it out. They needed that last night, too. 
That, listen, I'm not going to kick a man while he's down. But You are, actually. As soon as you <laughs> say that, who are you going to kick? Yeah, Mike you... Matheny. Okay. You know what? The way that I looked at that, and I, I agree, but not maybe exactly the same way. My thought with it, with Rosie at that point, all right, when he actually got pulled the out bunt. of the game. Well, well, okay, forget <laughs> Okay. I, I, mm, okay, fine. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that was what a swing one. Was it fairly obvious that uh, it, it was Villarreal, right? That, that was up to bat. Yeah. It was fairly obvious that he didn't feel confident with that bat in his hand. <laughs> yeah, what get was down. it that gave it away? The first time or the second well, time when it just popped straight? You know up? What gave it away is actually in between the two when he looked over at the third base coach and he he like literally had his hands out to the side like what? <laughs> I love real like it was a, like a real like it was a quick glance on him and he looked so confused. <laughs> but the third base coach wasn't even looking at him anymore. He's okay. He's like, Are you sure? I loved your comment on the broadcast last night, BT. You're like, well, you don't miss that sign twice. <laughs> so that was probably a thing. I'll agree with that one. I'll agree with that. I thought you were going to go with the the Rosie leaving him in or taking him out part of it. I think in that spot, it's kind of the way that I felt about the Bennington situation, where if you're going to go down, you're going down with your guy. I would have left him in once you leave him in the first time around. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was 33 probably... pitches, right? He had pitched the night before. But my thing is, and this is where I was going to say I thought I was going to differ with you is I wouldn't have had him face Schrock in the first place. I would have brought the lefty and I'd have brought Rosario in for that one and then then you you take your chances there. But either way, that that ended up bit, uh, biting him. And Rosie got the fast lane bump, you know? <laughs> no, thanks for joining <laughs> the, yeah, the crew yeah, yesterday. Yeah. So your show bumps guys thanks, up? Stalter. Sometimes. Like from that first <laughs> inning, it felt like it, right? The first three batters that he faced, uh, he bumped them up. But yeah, we've had a lot of guys that have come on our show and had success. Remember like Wong and DeYoung early, like they came on us. Boom! The boys are, are doing it. You know, that's Do you guys nice. have a, a, a BK and Ribs bump? That's the point. No. John Nagoski. Uh, we bumped him and then he no got. Go. <laughs> that's the we had Matheny on earlier this week. We have, that worked. No. That was, you got to remember. <laughs> we, had, we had Dylan Carlson's dad on. <laughs> you know what? Dylan had a couple of nice at bats last night. This is like the polar so opposite good. effect of what Vitality So Vitaly has an effect in the locker room. He'll does, do his cup of Joe for intermissions. And when he talks to him, they score goals. And then they just start, hey, Joey, Joey, come over here and talk to us because they want the good luck. <laughs> you guys have the polar opposite effect on these guys. So I. I said that Tyler O'Neill has figured everything out, and he, he is not striking out anymore. <laughs> then he went on a two for 30 and then started swinging at the uh, slider again. It's not, not how I look at it. Last came night. Through. I agree. I look at the positives <laughs> hey, in life. I think you should. I think that every hitter goes through a downturn. Look, I've been beating on the Tyler O'Neill drum, too, the, the entire season long. How perfect is baseball, though, that he got to come up in that spot and actually do something? Him and Carlson. Yeah. Both of them being up in that spot was so huge Needed to it. me. Needed it. It's good for morale good coming into a, a day like today where you got a couple of ball games so uh overall i think since the restart on the 15th life has been decent for the cardinals can i ask you something about tyler o'neill yes yeah th- the fact that he's vegan now well there's that That's he crazy. looks great he does like um do it. <laughs> no chance <laughs> batting 056 against 84 seams this year uh is that is, is that a thing now? Well, now we can't hit fastballs? Well, I think it depends on... I think that the fastballs are getting used a lot differently against him, too. They're more for effect and less for strikes. Like, he's seeing fastballs, like, in off the plate. He's seeing them up above the up zone. High, yeah. So I, I don't think that he's getting too many cookies. And when he does, he's getting pitched backwards. But I will say, you can tell by some of the swings. And his swing percentage in general has gone down a bit. Like, like a, a good amount. Uh, top five in baseball as far as mm-hmm. swing percentage going down. So... 
I think that he's trying to be more selective in general. But, yeah, I mean, there could be something to it. You're looking for spin. You know how guys are attacking you, and then all of a sudden you miss the cookie. So I think he's waiting for that sweet spot of I pick up spin, yet I'm still ready and reacting fastball. I still think he's going to get there. Like, he, he is – I think that he gets a meathead moniker because of just looking at him. He's smart, man. He's a smart kid. He gets it. He understands what people are trying to do to him, and, and he's making adjustments accordingly. But, yeah, I like a, a better average than that against four-seam fastball. Is it weird that I feel better about him this year than I did in the past? Because, like, if you can find a way, and he's he's been okay against the off-speed and the breaking balls, if, if you can find a way to hit those, I know he can hit fastballs. We've seen that his entire career. So I, I think there's adjustments to be made there, and, if you can start hitting the fastballs again and you you have the ability clearly to hit the sliders and the curves, maybe you've got a player here. For sure you do. This is a conversation, guys, that we're going to have a little bit later in the show on the fast lane today is the overall idea. You look at the Cardinals offense and the Cardinals are doing a really good job. I think they got the lowest chase rate in all of baseball. The strikeouts have been down. I know they punched out a lot yesterday, but the strikeouts (laughs) overall have been down. Um, But can you be both? All right. Can you be the team that does that and does all those little things? well and can they also be the team that does some damage because I feel like currently with the, with the way they're going about things and they're going to move the chains a little bit it's going to be great they could go station to station all this stuff is great but you still need to have the long ball that you still need to be able to have the power and I wonder when they'll find that sweet spot of doing both or will they find the sweet spot of doing both of working counts of fouling stuff off of recognizing pitches but still be ready to absolute launch because th- those are the offenses that go next level they're not there yet I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. What's going on in the hockey world? Anybody else have a surgery or anything today? No, nobody. Everybody's uh, good? No, nothing negative. We're trying to keep this positive, so. uh, Oh, we can do that? We're just going to avoid that. Well, here's the positive. I know you guys have spun this. I'm sure it's the offseason. Plenty of time to rest now. Uh, Build up for next year. Uh, Piece that uh, cap together. That looks easy enough (laughs) to do for Doug Armstrong. That should be no problem at all to piece it together. Doug's got his hands full a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah, GMs don't really sleep that comfortably until you win the cup, and maybe that week after you win it, you sleep comfortably. But then after that, things are tough. Right now, Doug Armstrong, he's probably not sleeping well at all. He's just doing math. There's a reason all GMs are bald or graying. Are they all? Well, probably. I mean, they're older. I mean, generally, it's not a young man's game. It's a stressful game. And male pattern baldness is a thing. I mean, look, Steve Eiserman had a great head of hair, and then all of a sudden, just gone. Oh, wow. Steve Eiserman just calling him out. Random fire hair on the side, eh? I'm just saying. Wow. BT, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about all the stuff we just talked about. That's for sure. We'll break all that down. Oh, we got Curbs on later. We're going to talk to to Chris Kerber about the blues. Maybe we'll talk to him uh, about uh, Army pulling his hair out and hairlines in general. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know what we're going to end up getting into, but I know this. You're going to get four hours of entertainment. We're going to have some fun. Uh, well, we'll keep you up to date on all the news. And I hope that something good happens throughout the day so we can add to the list that so, you forgot that you got engaged in this year and, <laughs> and, uh, got, a and got a promotion at work. <laughs> Didn't Congratulations happen. on both those things. Uh, <laughs> that's coming up from 2 to 6. Yeah. For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kyler. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. Until then, we'll talk to you then, St. Louis. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.